Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club, a show where I tell guests a mystery story and they try and guess the solution. I'm your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today, again, as I've done many times before, we're doing something a little different. So I, uh, just a little backstory. I started my full-time job last September, and as I've been slowly ramping up, I've been taking on more responsibilities, and it's taking up more of my time, which is a good thing, because I'd like to be doing well at my job, Uh, but it means that doing the podcast once a week has become a lot more difficult and not as enjoyable for me, because it just feels stressful instead of fun. So for that reason, because I do want, I love telling people mystery stories, I love um, hearing people's thoughts and how like their thought processes work and I love reading the books. I still want to keep doing this, but I'm going to be moving to two times a month instead of once a week. So to kind of tide you over because this is this would be the first week where there of of this new start for me where there wouldn't be an episode, I am re-releasing my favorite episode from last year, which was The Black Jersey with Owen Rice that was released, I believe, at the end of August or maybe early September, sometime around when the Tour de France was, because that was what the episode was about. So if you haven't already heard this episode, you're in for a treat. It's a really, really good story. Owen was a fantastic guest. And if you have heard it, it's been a while. So here you go. Listen, enjoy. Listen, listen again. (laughs) So I hope you enjoy and the Tuesday Night Mystery Club will be back with a new episode next Tuesday. So without further ado, here is the story of the Black Jersey. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I'm your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine and my resident Tour de France expert, Owen Rice. Hi, Owen. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So the book we're doing today is called The Black Jersey by, I'm going to mispronounce this guy's name because he's Spanish, but it's George Zapita Patterson. Mm. And it's a, like, reviews call it a mix between Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None, which is one of her, like, more famous books, and The Tour de France. So it's it's packed with action, is what I got to say. Sweet. The the title the title already like I've got so many questions. Yeah. Okay. Ask me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So, well, in the Tour de France, there there are a couple of jerseys with different yeah. colors, and they all have their own yeah. meaning. So, like the yellow jersey is for like the overall leader of the race, and then there's like more interesting ones like the polka dot jersey for like the king of the mountains competition, uh-huh. the green jersey for the sprinters, but the black jersey is like <laughs> that sounds scary and yeah. In, in like in in car racing at least if you get if you get shown a black flag that means like something really bad has happened so it seems like the perfect symbolism for like a murder mystery like bike race you got it no that i think that's exactly what uh the author was going for is something bad's gonna happen yeah and that's so that's an interesting point about the different colored jerseys so do you want to give like a brief i feel like from reading this book i now kind of understand uh, how the Tour de France works, but do you want to give like a brief description about like how the how the tour is set up and how like how you win it or things like that? Yeah, sure. So to win the Tour de France, you have to be the fastest person to bike the whole distance of the race, which takes place in like twenty one or twenty two stages or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the person who wins the overall race gets the yellow jersey, 
And normally there's only really one person from each team of riders because they ride in teams mm-hmm. who's like actually trying to win the overall race because there's only ever one person that's really good enough. Yeah. And then everyone else on the team sort of has the role of like supporting that one good rider on their team. And so they have to like kind of kill themselves for like their their team leader. They have to like bring water yeah. bottles to him when he gets tired and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's always like there's always <laughs> maybe this will come up, but there's always one person that is like almost as good as their team leader but gets like demoted and so there's normally a little bit of jealousy that goes on within the teams. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um and so yeah, yeah, the it, it always makes for for interesting stuff. <laughs> So that's that's exactly kind of where we get started. Um, we're meeting these two teammates, Steve and Mark. And so, I you know I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit. We kind of have like some pre-story, but basically what it comes down to is what Owen's saying, where Steve Panada is the team leader for the Phonar team. Uh, mm-hmm. I think all these team names are made up, but if you hear something that's like an actual team name, please tell me because I'd be interested to know. <laughs> okay. So Steve Panada is the team leader and then his like main domestique or what you were saying by like helper on the, mm-hmm. like teammates is yeah. named Mark. Do you have the names in front of you? Mark I never, Mor- I never Moreau. <laughs> Mark Moreau. I never wrote down his last name. <laughs> okay. So oh, he's and, like and the main. It's, it's Mark with a C too. It's There's not a K because yes. he's, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. He's, he um was, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. Yeah, okay, I'll just I'll just start from what I have written down so I don't sure. repeat things. <laughs> so Steve and Mark meet for the first time in 2006 in a training camp, which is for the Belgium team Vento or Ventu. And they're both kind of oh. bullied at the beginning. Uh I think it I think it's probably Ventu because Ventu? that's the name of a really famous hill in the Tour de France, oh. a famous mountain that they race up. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's kind of cute that they chose that then. Yeah. So we're kind of introduced to them where they're both kind of being bullied by the rest of this training camp. So let's say it's like 46 riders that are all training, and they all know that only nine of them are going to make it on the team. Mm. And they kind of get to, they realize that the reason they're being bullied is because they're kind of the best. And so Mm. no one wants them to do well because this is their first year, but they they kind of take over because they're such good racers. And so then Mark kind of gets into like what he's like, this is narrated from his perspective, the whole book. Mm -hmm. And he gets into how his parents had separated when he was around nine. And he had, they'd actually, the parent, his parents had gotten together in Colombia, which which is where his mother was from, but his father was French. And so he'd actually been born in France, but lived his whole life in Colombia. And so he'd started biking at like the age of 13 and it was, he was like in love with one of his teachers. And so the whole reason he started biking was to impress her. And he just pushed himself in the Colombian mountains and got really good at biking throughout his like teenage years. Nice. Yeah. All of the, the really good climbers in like the Tour de France are normally from like, there's a whole bunch of really good Colombian racers because the super mm-hmm. high altitude means like they just get really, really good, like strong hearts and yeah, really okay. high blood cell counts. So there you go. That kind of plays into it a lot is Mark is like, when we get more into the book, he's like known as the best climber in the site, in the circuit. Mm. And so that's also, it's interesting the way you bring that up, like that he's a Colombian and they're known to be really good. 
I think there's a lot of things that are, this book was written in 2018. So it's pretty recent. I think there are a lot of like callbacks to things that have actually happened in past races that this author brings into the book. Mm. So like he, he brings up um, Armstrong, Lance Armstrong. Oh, okay. And his, like his doping and those kinds of things, like things that have happened, they get talked about too. Oh, cool. So from, from Columbia, basically once his parents split up, he kind of lived, lived his life knowing that his mom either didn't love him or didn't want to want him. Yeah. It's sad. So when he turned 18, he moved to France or Belgium or wherever his dad was living at the time to, to live with him. But his dad also didn't really want him. And so kind of made him join the army because his dad had been a military officer. And so like wanted him to follow in his footsteps. Mm. And then at this, whatever regiment he was with the colonel in charge who was named bruno lombard saw that mark this colombian dude was super good at racing like um, cycling and he'd always been interested in cycling and then it had been more focused on the sportsmanship of his regiment than on like the actual army training and so it like put mark into every race possible and basically built him up to be super good oh awesome yeah and then he also i think people started complaining that he was not doing enough work that Mark was just like biking all the time. And so Lombard had enrolled him in the military police of the, of the regiment. And so then he like got out of all these chores that he would have normally had to do. Oh, uh, okay. I thought you were going to tell me that like, there was some like French army cycling team or something that he got put on or some like bike unit. <laughs> uh, no, kind of. It was more like their re- each regiment around France would compete against each other. And then eventually, oh. When Mark finished his like four years, required years or whatever, Lombard got him onto that training camp in Belgium for the, what did you call it? The Vontu? Vontu, yeah. Vontu. So Lombard, this, this colonel, who will become like Mark's mentor, he gets him onto that first team, basically. Nice. Good guy. Yeah. And not to say, obviously, Mark was like a really good cyclist. Like he, he, he did it for himself as well. Right. So then we kind of jump, that was like 2006. We're going to have a couple of flashbacks to his earlier life, but we jump to the kind of like today, which is they've completed the first six stages of the tour or or like that kind of thing. It's like stages one to six. Okay. Yeah. So just getting started, like maybe not yeah. hit the, the big climbs yet, but we're getting no. there. Exactly. So this is, he's kind of describing it as, He's saying that the tour organizers always like this is like a warm-up. Like, yeah, you haven't hit any huge climbs. I think there's been maybe a time trial. Do you, yeah. How many time trials happen throughout the race? Is it just one or are there a couple? So there's almost always at least two. There's always an individual time trial and a team time trial. Mm. But I think sometimes they have like two individual ones. Okay. They're always interesting because they've got the big swoopy helmets and stuff, so... Yeah, the the individual uh, time trial is normally like one of the first stages of the race. So okay, so that's that's happened. I think both Mark and Steve and like the the Fonar team did pretty well. Mm. And then we get introduced to Fiona, who is Mark's girlfriend of two years, and she's actually a, she had been like a tour mechanic, but now she's like the direct like an inspector for part mm. of that program. And I think she's actually the director. Like she's very high up in the inspection of the tour bicycles etc oh like she's like part of the body like overseeing the race yeah she's yeah exactly she's part of the tour organization 
Mm, sounds like a conflict of interest to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Like, it must be allowed, but I think she has to make sure she doesn't tell Mark anything that yeah involved. I don't know. Yeah. So then, and then we also kind of get introduced to the main rivals for this year's race. So obviously the Fonar team is one of the biggest teams with Steve Panada being, being the lead. And then you have the English team, the British team with Peter Stark being the lead. And then the last big name is this guy, Oscar Quadrado, Um, and he's a Colombian. He's from the Colombian team. Actually, I don't know if he's a Colombian, but he's on the Colombian team. <laughs> Fair enough. Steve Steve Panada is on the Fonar team, is the French team, but he's a American. Uh, okay. Okay. Cool. So then the other thing they're talking about is these first six stages have been like really rough. They're saying that the tour organizers have really done a number on them because there's been a lot of like small towns with like cobblestones that have been super difficult to ride over. Mm. And Somehow, of the 198 racers that start started, already 52 have dropped out, which, according oh. like in this scenario, is the most ever at that stage in the race. Like it's it's massive. Yeah, definitely. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's like a kind of a joke award that gets given out every year at the Tour de France, um, and it's called the the Lantern Rouge, like the the Red Lantern, and it's awarded to the the last person to finish the Tour de France, like the person with the slowest overall time. Yeah. And because, like you said, there's a really high attrition rate, so no one ever tries to get it, but there's someone that always gets it some year, and they're just proud (laughs) to have finished the race. (laughs) That's funny. I think I might have watched a video of that happening just before we started recording, because I was watching some YouTube videos of past past scores. But I also didn't know what I was watching. It just felt that way based on, I don't know. I don't know. I know what you're talking about. That's all I'm saying. Cool. Cool. (laughs) So then we go to, we're kind of like, I think at maybe stage seven is just finished. And so Mark is having dinner with the rest of the phone, our team um, in whatever hotel they're staying in that night. And they're saying like, it had been a very rainy day. So again, hadn't been a great day. And then the big scandal that had happened that morning before the stage was that one of the the Spaniards, whose last name was Santa Maria, he had been accused of doping. And that was a big deal because he was in third place overall in the race at that point. And so the fact that he's getting that accusation and taken out of the race was significant because he was in third and also because everyone kind of thought he was clean. No one, oh. almost people don't believe it almost. Yeah, because there's always people that, are suspected of doping but there's people mm-hmm. who definitely have like a, a reputation for being like great guys so there's no way it could ever be them so yeah so that's kind of where he i think was sitting so people are really surprised that that he he would have that come his way unless it was a setup maybe i'm maybe i'm getting ahead of myself maybe it's too early for conspiracy uh i think i think you're fine okay okay <laughs> okay <laughs> They finish dinner and Mark's heading up to bed. He's kind of normally him and Steve talk about that stage and like go over everything that happened, but he's feeling really tired this night. So he kind of says, says no to Steve. But before he even gets to the elevator, he's stopped by the commissioner of police, whose name is Favre. And so the commissioner kind of pulls him into like a more secluded area of the hotel and tells him there's a killer among you. Oh, Yeah. 
So he's asking for Mark's help because they know about Mark's military police training from when he was in the army. And so they're uh, hoping that he can be like their inside guy. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm, a reluctant hero. Yes. Oh, very reluctant. He he has no intention of believing that anything is going on. Like He's like, that's impossible. People drop out of the tour every year. This is just a bad year because of the, like, the rain and the cobblestones and everything. Like, it, What are you talking about? Yeah. But the commissioner goes on to tell him, yes, people like fans stepping onto the road, like can be normal to knock people over, like things like that happening sometimes. But before the race even started, like two weeks ago, Hugo Lampar had been practicing. He's the best climber on the Rocco Rocca team. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been hit by a car on his way, like on his way up a hill or something like that. Mm. Uh, okay. And so he's kind of, he's out of the race. He didn't even start. Mm. So you, you hear about that sometimes where there will be like training accidents just because these guys ride like so far. Yeah. And they ride on like really twisty mountain roads. So you'll hear every once in a while about like some rider getting like hit by a car and it jeopardizing yeah. their, their exactly. season. So, and that's basically what Mark's saying. He's like, that happens. And so then the, the, the commissioner goes on and he says that, Another guy, Michael Hankel, had been assaulted three days before the start of the tour. And it had just been like a mugging. But the the Michael guy says, I gave away my wallet right away, yet they still beat me up and um, stomped on my ankle, which again puts him out like completely out of commission. Yeah. And then finally, Phil Cunningham, who he would have put up the most challenge to Steve in the time trial. So Steve Panata, the the lead of the Fonar team, he's the best sprinter or like the best time trial guy in the circuit at that point. And this okay. guy, Phil would have put up the most, like the biggest challenge to him. He had been pumped up on antihistamines at some point, And they think that his food had been spiked. Oh, so sorry. So there's, there's a, a time trial specialist who got poisoned. There was one guy who got his ankles stomped on and one guy who got hit by a car. Yeah. So did did the guy die who got hit by a car? No, he was just injured. Okay. And and what was their like what was like the standing of the the other two guys? Like you said one was the the time trial like competition, but like the other two they must have been significant riders too right or yeah so the the first guy lompar he's the best climber on the rocket team i'm not okay. I, sorry yeah, yeah i don't remember but he like he would have been basically the roca team is now might be out of it because they've lost their best climber roca okay um i don't know where they were in the standing i don't think they were any of the top 3 teams but they might have been up there yeah but he would have been like competition for mark perhaps yeah yeah exactly okay. And then the last thing that the commissioner, I think Mark up until this point is going like, these all, like these things happen. And then the last thing the commissioner tells him is that Oscar Quadrado, the the guy who was in the top three of the leading teams, mm-hmm. he had lost half his team in a crash on the fifth stage because quote unquote fans had stepped into the road saying they told the police afterwards that they had been like trying to get on camera but they found large deposits to their bank accounts a few days before that suggested that they might have been paid to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that that set off. So as we were talking about before, each team has about like nine people on it. And that yeah. meant that Oscar, the Colombians team, 
lost, I think, four of their nine members. So he's down half a team at stage five of the race. Jeez. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was like, you know, pretty big because it's the top three. The yeah. biggest thing that's happened that the commission, this is the reason that the commissioner is speaking to Mark, is that two hours ago they had found the body of Fleming. His wrist had been slit and he had been forced to drown in his bathtub. And he was the dom- the domestique of Peter Stark, the, um, the leader of the English team of the top three. Okay. All right. So they're kind of saying everything else could have been an accident. This was purposeful. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it, it might not, I mean, not, not to devalue this guy's life, um, <laughs> but, you know, he's only a domestique. If they're trying to sabotage someone's race, like cutting out, like knocking out team members definitely makes like a huge difference because mm-hmm. you can't win the race on your own. So, and this is this is the uh, Peter Stark's lead domestique. Like he's he's what you're talking about when there's sometimes competition between the mm. number one and the number two. He was the number two and very good. Mm, okay. He was also the there. He was like the best climber, so he was kind of in Mark's position to Steve. Mark is like the best climber on the team, and yeah. Steve's lead domestique. And so Fleming was kind of that same guy. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So then. When we move on to stage eight, which they say was pretty uneventful, and, which was good because it left Mark a lot of time to think and he needed it because he, he's just been told all of this crazy stuff the night before and he needs to think over who, who could possibly be behind it. Mm-hmm. So he's thinking there's two possible reasons for the attacks. Either someone wants to control the winner of the tour or someone wants to discredit the organization as a whole and make them look bad. Mm-hmm. So as Mark is thinking about this, he's kind of looking to that second option, the discredit the organization. And he's looking at this guy named Victor Radek. And so Radek is a Polish guy who had fallen on the tour several years ago due to one of the tour's like motorcycle camera guys who oh. he says like hit him. And so he was really pissed. And when the organization refused to kind of give him back the four minutes he had lost, he had left the race entirely, vowing never to return. Oh, man. Yet here he is. He's back in the race. So this is a real thing that happens, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. It, it might sound far-fetched, but there was actually a, like some like race leaders who ran into the back of a camera once oh, in like, the Tour de France IRL, and it like really screwed up their race. No kidding. It messes everything up. Yeah. So I, I totally feel for this guy. I would be pissed as yeah. well. Yeah. So he kind of has that whole aura about him of just being like mad and ready to do something about it Mm. and then mark goes to he kind of moves off from that and he thinks about who is benefiting most from these attacks and he thinks that currently it's steve because the two front runners that were with him the the british guy and the um colombian guy have both basically been knocked out like the um peter stark guy who lost his like basically best friend and lead domestique they're kind of saying, yes, he didn't lose the rest of his team, but he's going to be so devastated. Will he even be able to continue? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I like callously overlooked like the emotional aspect. I was just like, oh man, no, no domestique. He doesn't stand a chance anymore. I didn't even think about like his best yeah. friend just died. Yeah. His best friend was just killed. Like it's, it's even worse. Yeah. Jeez. So if we kind of take out those like three big teams, 
The other possibilities are of being like the biggest rivals are this guy named Alessio Matos Matosas Matosa, who is the lead of the Italian team. Then you have Milenko Panyak. He's a Russian guy. Let's just say he's on the Russian team because I, I don't know. And sure. then Pablo Medel, um, which I also don't know what team he's on. So the reason he's considering these three guys and these people for anyone at home listening, uh, maybe I'll post I'll post a picture on the Instagram of the kind of cheat sheet of characters that Owen has. It's like a cast list of who's important, but those three names show up under the rivals category. And my Instagram is Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Go follow me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all three of those teams, Matosa, Penyak, and Medell, they're all intact. None of them have lost any of their racers. They're all strong. Mm. And normally, if the others, like, the, they wouldn't have been in the top three, probably. But the fact that now two people have been knocked out, basically, mm. they, their chances have grown a lot. Mm. So that night at dinner, after the race, all anyone is talking about is Fleming's quote-unquote suicide, because that's how the uh, organization of the tour has decided to label it, because they, they don't want any any of the fans or the public knowing about this police investigation. They kind of want it to be a secret, so that it's easier for them to catch who's doing it without them being kind of warned. Mm, that makes sense. And so I think Steve might have caught on a little bit to what's going on, because he's super worried about Mark because he had heard a rumor about it being murder. And so the fact that the lead domestique had been killed is making him go like, oh my God, Mark, I love you, dude. Like that kind of reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so later, maybe after dinner again, uh, the commissioner pulls Mark aside and they have some kind of conversation, which basically boils down to Mark saying he doesn't want to be a narc. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Uh, just, he might've been asking, maybe the commissioner was asking questions about the Fonar team specifically. And Mark was like, that's my team, dude. Yeah. I don't want to tell you anything. Yeah. Those are my friends. Leave them alone. Yeah. <laughs> so then we kind of go back in time to 2005 to 2016. And so this is when the, the Vontu team had originally chosen Steve as the leader. And so what had happened was, the first year that Steve and Mark were on the team, they had both been domestiques for the, the the actual leader, but it was his last year. And so when he dropped out, they're basically picking between Steve and Mark to become the leader of this team. Mm. And what it came down to was Steve was the fastest time trial and yeah. Mark was the best climber. And so they decided, I think, I think apparently there's two strategies. You either pick a leader who's a really good climber and then have other people to help him with the time trial or you pick a leader who's a really good time trial guy and then just get really good climbers on the team to kind of build him up yeah so normally like the team lead whoever they are has to be like like at least decent at climbing because yes yeah all around yeah because like if if you can't climb a mountain then like you can lose so much time yeah. but the the time trialing ability is is super important because everyone has to do an individual time trial during mm -hmm. the race at some point and you won't have your teammates around to help you. So if you're yeah. like a really small little like Colombian guy who, who like, who can't, you know, bike super fast over the course of like a, a pretty flat time trial, then you can lose a lot of time directly on your rivals. Whereas mm -hmm. 
like if you've always got your team around you when you're out on like a regular course so it can be seen as like a, a real weakness if you're not a good time yeah. trialer so I don't think that is the case for Mark. And so we get kind of Fiona's opinion, his girlfriend. And she basically says that if Mark had been chosen as the team lead, he'd be the best in the world right now because he is, a, he's just a strong all around guy and mm. the best climber in the, in the world. Mm. Okay. So maybe he's like, I mean, he came up with Steve, but he must've been like a little bit unhappy that like Steve got, got the choice over him. Yeah. He kind of, I might be, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but basically I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait to, okay. for us to get to that. But there is like a lot of talk and pressure from his girlfriend, Fiona, basically being like, you have opportunity, like people have been offering you um, to be the leader, even if it's on like mid tier teams, but Fonar always wants to pay you more because you are good for the team to be a domestique. Yeah. Interesting. That's that. There must be so much turmoil for Mark. Like Steve's yeah. his boy, you know, and exactly. now like he's a, a suspect of the murder. Yeah. And now I'm sure all of this this other like negative feelings that he's got for him have start to come to the surface and like yes, build on his suspicion. No, exactly. It's very emotional, and we'll get more into it later as well. But basic, like you're kind of getting this idea that Mark and Steve they they treat each other like brothers. Like there's they have such a good bond with each other based on kind of it goes back to when they were both being bullied on that that first team together and so they formed this like compassion for each other where they helped each other out through all of that Mm. so then we move to stage nine which is the day of the time i think the individual time trials and so basically they're saying that steve could gain like minutes over his rivals like this is his strength Mm. so mark is in like the warm-up area when his mentor the, the colonel Lombard he comes to greet him and he says so Lombard is has a son who's like a computer geek and Mark gave them his passcode into their system so they have access to all of his like stats when he's biking like his heart rate how fast he's going like all that kind of stuff his yeah, blood his, pressure his power output probably is the most important exactly. yeah 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 so they have access to that and so Lombard says to him based on that Based on the models, there's only seven people in the circuit that can beat Mark on the time trial. Wow. And so he's saying, if you finish well today, then the mountain stages will be no problem and you'll be able to podium, no problem. So he's basically saying, you're a domestique, but like, you got this. Jeez, that's awesome. Yeah, go for it, Mark. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) And so then Mark kind of goes into how Lombard is kind of able to be around and how he did it was he had gotten accreditation from this guy named Bimeo, who is the head of security of the tour. And I think it's because he had been part of the military. And so he's able to help with like talking to the police departments of all the small towns that tour passes through. So he's useful in that sense. Mm. And so being, having that accreditation allows him access to a lot of the, the tour stages and stuff like that. So he can be around Mark. Okay. And then part of that, um, him, Lombard and Fiona had gotten really close. They, they kind of like father daughter almost, um, both because they're rooting for Mark to do well. Right, right. And it ends up being Mark. Uh, Lombard is right. Mark is able to finish six in the overall time trial, and he's only 58 seconds behind the leader, Steve. Wow. Holy mm-hmm. smokes. So there you go. He's he's not bad. <laughs> no, not at all. 
I mean, 58 seconds and, like, you're not getting the full support of the team is, like... Yeah. Yeah, that means, like, you should probably get your own team lead. Like, now now I totally see what <laughs> you're talking about. Like, he, he deserves it. Yeah. So I'll tell I'll I'll tell you throughout where they're where they're at in the standings. Yeah, yeah. So after the race, they're at dinner, and then Mark goes to Fiona's trailer. So she, I guess, all of the maybe the the tour organizers are able to have their own trailer that they bring her along to each stage instead of staying in a hotel. Mm. And so here we get a little bit of background about Fiona and how they had started dating. So Fiona had actually worked as a mechanic for the Fonar team a few years back. And Steve had basically made it his conquest to date her. Like he had gone after her for the full 20 months or whatever that she had been there. And she was constantly rejecting him. And I think it was actually part of the reason she quit the team. She was like, I'm done at the end of the season. Yikes. Steve's not looking so good right now. (laughs) No, he kind of, it's interesting. They kind of go back and forth on how they're describing him in the book, but he's described to be like this, Uh, Like he looks like a Hollywood actor, like he's beautiful and he has, he was very privileged in the way he was raised. So his parents were basically able to like throw resources at him as he was training to become an athlete, like to become a cyclist. Mm. He's very generous as well. So he, like he made sure that any, any benefits he got in his contract, Mark got as well in that kind of sense. Like if he got the newest technology and helmets mark got the same helmet or mm. bikes or like deals and stuff like that or like hotel rooms gotcha so i'm sort of imagining like a harrison ford type character you know like like a bit of like a handsome like lovable rogue and like you know maybe he's definitely too like aggressive with women but like people find it charming <laughs> you know yeah i feel like that fits in <laughs> <laughs> So after quitting the team, she had later started messaging Mark. Like basically she'd started by just messaging things that would help him in his performance. So for instance, Mark, his one leg is five millimeters shorter than the other leg. And so she was suggesting changes to his bike that would make that more comfortable or things like that. And through those messages, they ended up getting to like starting dating. Oh, okay. And so when Steve had found out he had been super upset and had tried to break them up by basically offering or dragging Mark along to all of these like banquets or just like giving him all these benefits. And on the other hand, he had tormented Fiona. Like he had tried to make her life hell, but tried to show Mark, look how great I am. Oh my God, Steve. (laughs) No, he does. He does not look good. No. Holy. Okay. I guess I I guess like maybe Mark doesn't see it this way though, right? Like this is probably from no. Fiona's perspective. This is how Mark's describing it, and it's it's almost my perspective. Like I've read oh. the book and what I've taken from what I'm reading. Okay. So, okay. But yeah, Mark is not describing it. He is describing it in this sense, but he's from an emotional perspective of Steve is my brother and would do I would do anything for him. He would do anything for me. Okay. Gotcha. So it's weird though. Yeah, this whole thing is weird. He kind of, Mark feels like Fiona is too good for him and she's going to break up with him at any minute. So he's not the most confident guy. Yeah. So as Mark gets into the trailer, Fiona kind of is expressing how upset she is that Mark never became a team leader. And so this is where we get into, she thinks that Steve has been holding Mark back this whole time. Mm. Where Mark disagrees because it was kind of like they made this deal with each other that they would both 
whoever became the leader, they would both be happy for. You kind of get this idea, would Steve have really been happy or would he have uh, gone to a different team? Yeah, fair enough. So Mark doesn't want to leave this on. They, they've, they're not fighting, but they're kind of going back and forth with Fiona saying he should be a leader and Mark saying, well, I'm a domestique. Like, I've got to do what I got to do. And so he goes to hug her to kind of like make amends before he leaves and goes up to bed when suddenly there's an explosion and they're kind of like they have this wave of heat that hits them and they realize that the gas tank attached to the trailer has exploded. Whoa. Uh-huh. And this was the, right, and this was the organizer's trailer. Yes, this is Fiona's trailer. Oh, okay. So now I'm starting to believe Mark's theory about discrediting the tour because this is mm. this isn't targeted at uh like a rival of someone. This is just like this is just anarchy. Well, they're wondering was it targeted at Mark? Was it meant to target like Mark as the main, the best, the better climber? Ah. Uh, and and possibly as the investigator. Yes, possibly. Oh, depending okay. if they know that or not. Jeez. All right, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So there's a whole investigation, their question, but Mark overall ends up going back to bed. And then the next morning, the, I forget what this was actually called, but the DS of the team, the like. Um, oh, the, the directeur sportif. Yes. So this, not, a, not a cyclist, but like the guy in charge of. Yeah. The, the guy, the guy who rides along in the car and shouts over the radio. Yes. That guy. Yeah. So his name is. Giro, and he he is a French guy for the French Fonar team, and he basically does everything he can the next morning to protect Mark from the media because of this explosion. Mm. Luckily, it is a rest day, so he basically fly he gets him up early and flies him out to their next stop on the tour before the entire team. Mm. Okay. So then for stage ten, the morning before the stage. Again, to kind of protect Mark from the media frenzy. And also, I think the idea that someone might be out to hurt him. They want to keep him safe. They, like, send a stationary bike up to Mark's room. And then they end up sending a second one up for Steve. And so they're, they're, they're warming up together. And they're kind of discussing this faulty tank. Because it was basically, I think, empty or almost empty. And Fiona had was telling um, the police that she'd meant to change it earlier and just hadn't gotten around to it. So it's this idea of like, it could it have just been faulty or was someone actually trying to attack and just got unlucky with it being empty and not really exploding that much. Okay. And then something kind of interesting happens on the course that day during the stage, because the three kind of rivals, Matosa, Penyuk and Medell, they all band together to all three of their teams, 27 racers attack Fonar all at once. Oh, sneaky. Yeah. That's yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. so one of the things that's interesting about bike racing is there are unspoken rules uh-huh. and there are things that like you're technically allowed to do, but they're like kind of mean. Mm-hmm. There's stuff like uh, you don't normally, you don't try to attack like when like the leader has like the race leader has like fallen off their bike or if they've had like a yeah. puncture or something like that. Yeah. And normally like you don't like attack like going through like a tunnel or something when it's dark cuz that's kind of like mm-hmm. a little sneaky. But yeah. but the co- the coordinated attack that's like that's the, the sort of thing that like happens pretty regularly when there's um a bunch of people trying to catch up to like one main rival. And so like yeah. the, the really really good teams are good at like being like super controlling and making sure that like no one in charge of the group can get away. 
So, so these guys like all banding together is like very opportunist and like well-coordinated. So that's, they're not trying to catch up to Fonar. They're just trying to like keep them back almost. But they're, I think this was supposed to be like an easier stage, like not a lot of hills and that kind of thing. But these three are working together to just push the pace of the Peloton. Yeah. I should also say for Owen knows what this is, but the Peloton is kind of the entire group of racers that are all together. And when you bike with that many people, like the wind is easy, like it's easier to bike. You can go faster because there's so many people protecting you from the wind. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's really cool. You can end up spending like a third, the amount of energy you normally would if you're like in the middle of the Peloton versus at the front. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. So basically what these three teams are doing is they're just pushing the pace. And I think the idea is to wear out Steve. Um, because he doesn't know when they're going to attack or like what moves they're going to do, but they seem to all be kind of rotating through and coordinating it. Nice. And it works. They're, the three of them are able to kind of get ahead, and Mark is frustrated because he thinks he could have kept up with them Hit them on the... I guess there must have been a hill, because that's where Mark would have would have been key, but in the end he needed to tow Steve. And what that kind of means is Mark's ahead, and Steve almost gets as close as he can his front wheel to the back of Mark's wheel and just uses his slipstream to reduce the wind on him so that Steve can go faster or conserve energy. Yeah. So, so like Steve's Steve doesn't really have any, anything left in the tank and Mark's just like dragging him along. Yeah. They're on a, they're on a mountain. So Mark is frustrated. He knows he could have put in more, but he's not the leader. It doesn't matter. Right. He's got to protect his, his team lead. Yeah, exactly. So after the race, Fiona kind of films, fills him in on what's going on, what she knows. And so she tells him that Stark is about to drop out. So we were correct. The emotional toll on him was just too much. Mm. Quadrado, the Colombian racer who had lost half his team, he also wants to drop out, but his team isn't letting him because of sponsorships. They're going to force him to keep going. Mm. And then the really interesting thing that she's able to tell him is that Matosa's team, their name is Leveza. They're the Italians. They said if he doesn't place in the top three at the end of the race, they're, they're going to fire him. Jeez. And so the reason this is such a big deal is because Matosa had no chance. He he was not among the top three favorites to win the race. And so it, it felt like his team was basically saying, we're going to fire you. Good luck. Jeez. So Matosa's desperate. Yeah. So over that night, Mark kind of thinks about how the killer must be involved with Matosa. Like, it's his opinion that it must center around him because he's like, he's the one that clearly needs to benefit from from these attacks. And so I think that night he tells the commissioner and he says he basically all he had is that he theorized that because his teammates are Italian, they could have ties to the mafia. And the commissioner, Favre, hears him, but he basically says yeah, that's weak. Like, listen to yourself. You have nothing. You're just, this is all substantial. Nationality is kind of like the only thing you're using right now. (laughs) Exactly. Like, there's nothing going on here. And uh, the commissioner tells him that actually right now the main suspect is Jiro, the DS of the Fonar team. And the information he shares is that the Fonar team is looking to fire Jiro at the end of the season as well. And so Jiro could be thinking that if Steve wins, that might save him his job. Mm. but that doesn't necessarily explain the the attack on the the organizer's trailer maybe it was faulty. yeah yeah i think there's some theory going around that 
they knew that it was almost empty and that it wouldn't actually hurt Mark. And so uh. there is, there's maybe not bad blood, but you can kind of tell that the commissioner and Mark maybe don't like each other that much. Sorry, not the commissioner. Sorry, the, the DS, Giro, and Mark don't like each other that much. Ah, uh, okay. So that day, we're now at stage 11 of the race. Matosa, Panyak, and Medell try the same strategy that they had used the day before, um, except that they're clearly more tired this day because they're good racers, but they're not first tier racers, I guess. Like they might be second tier. And oh. so that attack that they had led the day before really wears them out but it doesn't wear out the Fonar team. So Steve tells Mark to like make a getaway near the top of the mountain. But, okay, so Mark is the better climber, but Steve is amazing at downhills. And so you can probably talk to this a little bit more, but like some of the downhills they talk about being like basically vertical drops and they're just terrifying to go down in the idea that you might slip and fall. But Steve Steve does them like 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 there's nothing to them. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, the descending is always really crazy because they climb up to like crazy elevations and then they yeah. just zoom downhill afterwards. And like the the camera crew sometimes just can't even keep up with them because of how fast they'll be like going downhill. Yeah, no, it's uh, insane. Yeah, the, it's the most of these guys are really good and so they don't crash, but when they do, it's really scary. So it's not it's not just that Steve won't crash; it's that he can make up so much time on a downhill. That's like his. His strength is just some, somehow going faster than everyone else on the downhill. Yeah, just like taking risks on every corner and being confident enough. Yeah, exactly. It's all confidence. And so what he's basically telling Mark is before the top of the hill, he tells Mark to make a getaway on his own because he's the better climber and then Steve will catch him on the downhill. <laughs> nice. Okay. And so it's, it's, it's so that they can both break away from these three guys. Jiro, uh, sorry, not Jiro. Matosa, Penyuk, and Medell. Gotcha. And so I think Mark is really enjoying himself because he's in first in the tour. Like this has never happened before, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But sadly, Steve catches up to him right like a few kilometers before the finish line or mm. something like that. And so they take turns going in front because, you know, one person leads while the other person kind of can take a break without the wind and then switch. Mm-hmm. And then Steve at the last moment lets Mark win the stage. And this is a big deal because he's been racing for like 11 years and never won a stage on the tour. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Normally, normally there's like guys who are as good as Mark is supposed to be in this. We'll get like a win here or there. Yeah. That's good. I guess good guy, Steve. I mean, he's, he knows how to keep his domestic happy at least. Yeah. And what this ends up being fantastic they find out the next day is that it was Bastille day which is like a big deal in france and this was like pete the tourmalet peak or something like that and no one no french person had won it in like 40 years yeah yeah sorry uh so the the tourmalet like that's the name of the mountain right i think so right yeah yeah it's the it's a it's a famous climb in the tour de france as well it's 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 a really it's a really difficult one Okay, so that's what this was. I guess they didn't put as much attention on it because it's not the end. It was kind of middle of the race. Right, right. But it's like a pres- it's a prestigious stage to win. Yes, exactly. And the fact that he's a Frenchman and he's winning in France and the, no one's won it before, like it was a very big deal. Nice. So the crowd kind of coming into that stage was ecstatic and Mark kind of said like everyone was waving French flags, like it just felt very patriotic. Yeah. 
And then the other thing is that Mark is now in second place in the standings only behind Steve, which Ooh. Mark and Steve are happy about, but Jiro is not happy mm. that he won. He wanted Steve to win that stage. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so. Yeah. So then we kind of drop back to 2010s. This is, again, kind of some more backstory on Mark and Steve. And Mark is thinking about how Fiona will never understand how much Steve is like a brother to him. And so this is when he kind of goes back to when he had left Colombia, when he had first started in the military after leaving Colombia in France, he would send long letters to his mother kind of describing what was going on, but he never got a response from her. She never sent one back. Oh. Yeah, I know. But when Steve had entered his life and then Steve's parents, Steve's mom had really, really tried to kind of almost reconnect Mark and his mother to the point where they had gone to Colombia to visit his mother, like the parents, Steve's parents had gone to visit Mark's mother and like taken her out to dinner and talked really highly of Mark and how great he was doing and all of that. But all she sent back was she basically sent a letter addressed to Steve and Mark saying how um, grateful she was for the dinner and uh, congratulating both of them on doing well. Oh. Like it was almost, she was doing it out of like courtesy. Yeah. And then Steve kind of took up the same pursuit that his mother had been doing. And he would, anytime he sent a postcard back to America, he would send a postcard to Mark's mom and uh, she would respond again, kind of courteously. Like she almost didn't know what to say because this wasn't even her son. And then one year he had invited her to Christmas and they'd been really, Steve had been really excited about it, about reconnecting mother and son again. But like days before she had had to cancel because she'd gone into hospital or something along those lines. Mm, man. So Steve's really got his back here, but that's tough. Yeah. So that's kind of what Mark is saying that like Fiona will never understand what it was like in those kind of days and those years when it was just Steve and I. Mm-hmm. So now we're on to stage 12 and Mark is getting onto the, the bus to go to the start of the stage when he sees a magazine open on Giro's seat on the bus. And it's the Libération, a French magazine. And on the front cover, his mentor Lombard is quoted as saying that if Mark wanted to, he could win the tour. Oh. And so then Mark goes to read the article and just sees how damaging it is. And the he's like, I... I'm not saying that Lombard's saying it, but my team probably thinks that I think that yeah. because my mentor is saying it. Yeah. Probably some, they probably just assume it's some like backdoor, like PR leak that he's trying to get out there. Yeah. So Mark knows that Giro, the reason Giro hasn't said anything yet. And the magazine is just on his seat and not thrown in his face is because this is a really difficult mountain stage. And so basically they need Mark to do well. But he knows that after the stage and in the coming stages, like he's gonna have to do some serious damage control. Mm. So they're they're trying to keep it quiet. They're not gonna call him out yet until he's he's done his job. Basically. Mm. And so he realized like he's kind of realizing that he needs to prove himself on the mountain that day and just have like the best strategy ever for Steve. Like make Steve do fantastic and keep everyone away from him. Um, but near the top of the mountain that day, I don't know what climb they're on, but some big climb. I think it's, it's the same thing that kind of happens every day. They start out off in a group in the Peloton and then the main racers break away to go up the mountain. Like they break away. Mm-hmm. And so the people that have broken away are Mark, Steve, Panyak, Medel, and Matosa. Like those five top guys. Yeah. Yeah. 
So they're nearing the top when Steve gets a flat. And so Mark immediately pulls over and gives Steve his bike so that Steve can continue, which I think is also like, that sounds normal, right? For a team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Because especially when those guys are like so far up the road and if it's a really steep climb and there's fans everywhere, it's hard for like a car to get there. It's faster just like hand your bike to, to your teammate and pick one up later. Exactly. Okay. So Jiro in the car behind them comes with both, I guess he has Mark and Steve's spare bike in the car, but he passes Mark and doesn't stop to give him his spare and messages like says on the radio in a mocking voice, Steve needs his bike more than you. Oh my God. Yours isn't the right height. Wow. So Mark is standing there realizing that the race is basically gone for him. And he's ca- you, he's counting down the seconds that he's losing in his head and re- like kind of seeing him drop in the standings almost. Yeah. When he's about to sit down when Radic, that Polish guy who had been like really mad at the tour, comes around the corner. And Radic pulls over immediately and says, take my bike. Oh. So Mark kind of in two seconds makes the decision and gets on the bike. But he is thinking, I wonder what the penalty is for taking a rival's bike. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Okay. I'm, this is obviously super interesting and I don't know what to make of it yet, but. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So just you wait. (laughs) (laughs) So Mark is able to catch the supply car with Giro sooner than he thought. He's actually really shocked that he was able to catch up this quickly until he realizes that Steve is in the ditch and his Mark, the bike that Mark had given Steve that was actually Mark's bike is like destroyed in the ditch as well. Oh. And so he jumps off this Lent bike from right at Raddick and they manage to get Steve out of the ditch and back onto the bike, even though he's clearly very beat up and they don't know if he has any injuries. And Mark, for the rest of the race, basically drags him to the finish line at a pretty slow pace, but just as as fast as they can get Steve to go. But they can they can see from his face like he's dying. But what Mark says is that this is the first time that the fans are seeing not just like the, the golden boy, Steve. They're seeing him for how strong he actually is. Like the fact that he was able to recover and get back on his bike from that kind of a fall just shows what kind of a racer he is. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so here's the deal, though, Owen. That evening, the commissioner, Favre, comes up to visit Mike and tells him that Mark's bike had been tampered with. I thought so. Yeah, the wrong glue had been used on the tires, so aluminum glue instead of carbon glue or something. Mm, Because when you said that, like, Steve was in the ditch, I was like, but that was Mark's bike. So they maybe sabotaged both of them hoping to get him, knock them both out of the race. And then he got lucky because he had Raddick's bike. Yeah. It sounds like Steve, like Steve's flat tire was genuine, okay. but Mark, Mark's bike was sabotaged. And it looks like whoever it was, was trying to hurt Mark, not Steve. Cause there would have been no way of knowing they would have traded bikes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So, so Giro's still a suspect. I mean, I would have thought that being like the sporting director, he would, be smart enough to know that like Mark is really important for this stage and he's going to probably be with Steve the whole way. So mm-hmm. we shouldn't sabotage his bike, but at the same uh-huh. time it's a mountain stage. And so it means if Steve has a tough time and they don't trust Mark, then maybe they're afraid that Mark would like try to break away and win it here. Uh, yeah. 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 
to do something. Mm-hmm. So because because it was glue, the way the bikes work are that like the mechanics will work on. Let's say they have seven mechanics or something. They'll work on all of the team's bikes overnight or in the morning or whatever, and then kind of finish them right before the race. So it kind of points to that this was an inside job. Like there's no way someone could have mistook the glue because what they're saying is that aluminum glue has been banned in the entire race for like a decade or something like that. Mm. So that it's not a mistake. Someone had to have brought that glue in. It's not like you could just pick it off the shelf. It should right. not, it shouldn't have been there in the first place. Right. It's not like, you know, someone like swapped the labels or something. It was like someone yeah. smuggled it in and put it on the bike. Yeah. Okay. So after that big fall, Steve is now in fourth place at four minutes, 49 seconds. And Mark is in fifth place at eight minutes for plus eight minutes, 42 seconds, like, like oh. uh, more than the leader. And that's yeah. because he took a two minute penalty for taking a rival's bike. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, things are not looking good for them. That's no. even if they're only like fifth and sixth, like f- four and eight minutes respectively is like, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. like a minute if you're within like a minute of the leader um normally you're still considered like in contention mm-hmm. but yeah that's things aren't looking great so basically the kind of what they're going one steve is injured they take him right to the hospital afterwards to kind of figure out what's going on their only hope is that the three people ahead of them are not again technically first rate competitors mm-hmm. but they are working together so there's it's kind of who knows yeah so Before stage 13, the police have kind of been questioning the Fonar mechanics the entire night until basically the early morning when the Fonar team demanded that they get back the mechanics because they needed them to work on the bikes before that stage. Mm -hmm. And Mark is kind of trying to picture which ones of them he thinks could possibly be guilty. And he has absolutely no idea. He's like, they're all like family. The most recent mechanic to join the team was like two years ago. Like no one's new. Everyone's been there a while. Mm -hmm. But the stage 13, luckily, after Steve's fall, it should be an easy one. It's one of those races where the entire peloton should arrive together. So they're basically, there should be no change in everyone's time. Yeah, yeah. Everyone should arrive with the same differences in time as they did starting. Yeah, that's one of the things that I find super cool is like the the peloton timing. Yeah. Because um, as long as you, as long as there's no gap between your wheels then you all get the same time. So it could take like yes. a minute for the whole peloton to cross the line. But as long as you're one big bunch, then they'll all be like, yeah, okay. Everyone you get... gets it together. Yeah. Yeah, that is neat. So that's what they're expecting from this stage, except they're going through like a small town. And I guess the roads on the towns are kind of narrower. Mm. Um, there's nowhere to go. And they notice that Medell and Penyuk's team have moved to the front, like they're all the all the um, domestiques, okay. and they've blocked the way. They've caused like a bottleneck through the town. And Matosa and his team, plus Medell and Panyuk, like the leaders, the three leaders plus Matosa's domestiques have jumped ahead and have taken oh, off. Oh, that's sneaky. And so this is what you were talking about, where um, normally when so- the leader is injured, people kind of take yeah. like a little bit of a, like they give them some relief. Mm-hmm. And so this is like a dirty move. Yeah, because he just crashed. He took a big crash. And now the yeah. next stage. And it's not even like they're, like, as long as they didn't attack when it happened, like, it's a bit more understandable. And the next mm-hmm. stage, still kind of dirty. But the fact that they had, like, their domestiques, like, slow down and, like, physically, like, 
block the road while they yeah. let everyone else get away is like now obviously they haven't like stopped and created a barricade but the fact that they're kind of like soft pedaling it and trying to like yeah. clog up the it's, road it's purposeful yeah for the that, entire peloton oh man so this happens except the entire peloton again what you were saying about those unwritten rules Raddick comes up beside Mark and Steve and basically goes, we're not going to let this stand. And the entire Peloton speeds up. And because they're in a bigger group, they're able to go faster because of that wind resistance. And they're able to overtake that group of Matosas that had gone out ahead. Yeah, they're reeling them in. Yeah. Cool. So once they catch up, Gerode, the DS, is kind of yelling in their um, earbuds because all the racers have earbuds and radios linking to their team. And he's telling them he thinks like they need to attack. Like, we're not going to let that happen again. You need to attack. And Mark is kind of telling him back. That would be so disrespectful. The entire Peloton just showed us mercy and sped up purposefully to help us. If we attacked, yeah. like, that would be so disrespectful. And yeah. two, look at Steve. He can barely go the pace we're going right now. Like, he's dying. We can't speed up and attack. Yeah. But uh, Jiro keeps yelling at them to attack, attack, attack. And so Mark does something that it's maybe not great and he takes out his earpiece oh yeah that's 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 like a dramatic moment so but then not just as mark take out his earpiece slowly one by one the entire phonar team including steve take out their earpieces oh it's like a spartacus moment here yeah and so fiona later tells him after the after the stage is done that that act of defiance probably will cost Jiro his career because not only now, even if the phone our team was already going to fire him, now other teams won't want to hire him because of that act of. Yeah, he doesn't have the he doesn't have their respect anymore. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's always dramatic when and like people talk about it a lot whenever someone a rider will like take out their earpiece because they'll get fed up with whatever the director is saying <laughs> and and like it happens because people will get grumpy and they think they know better but like for a whole uh -huh. team to like ignore yeah. the boss yep. that's like yep not good she also so this is fiona fiona also tells mark that steve has is stopping lombard the mentor from coming near mark and so it's this again this 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 newspaper article that lombard did has clearly affected the phone our team um, and so that's really hurt Lombard's feelings. And so Mark arranges a clandestine meeting with Lombard to kind of talk talk to his mentor about what's going on. And so he starts by telling him that he's super mad at him for that interview. He's basically saying, like, sure, you can want me to win this race, but do you really think that was the way to do that? Like, if I lose a team, if I lose my entire team right now, I'm not going to make it to the end. Like, I can't do this alone. But Lombard isn't discouraged, and he basically is saying if Mark strikes at the correct moment, he can win the whole race. Yeah, I guess now that Steve's injured, if he if he attacks on the right climb, like, and the fact that the team doesn't even respect Giro anymore means like yeah, there's more possibility. Yeah, he's he was the number two, and if they're pragmatic, then he's probably gonna take over now. Yeah, so that's yeah exactly that's kind of the feel you're getting for what's going on. Um, and it's this internal struggle with Mark about whether he wants, like, do, will he, can he do it to his best friend or no, this is Steve's to, to win. Mm -hmm. So now we have another flashback. This is to 2014. So just a couple years earlier when Diana Panada, Steve's mother had died and Mark's thinking about it because 
Diana had basically become the mother he never had. Like, his mother never loved him or treated him like a son. But Diana Diana treated both Steve and Mark like her two sons. And she made sure that they both had all the best things in life. If Steve, like, when Steve had a PlayStation and they would fight over who had time on it, Diana bought Mark a PlayStation so they didn't have to worry about it. Like, those kinds of things. She also, like, you know, she'd called them every week on Sunday to talk about how they were doing. And so this is where, like, Steve had kind of followed her lead as his his mother acting as Mark's mother. And so he had started kind of treating Mark as his brother. And this was in the the good and the bad in the sense of, like, they, they didn't want to share things. Just like you wouldn't want to share things with your brother. Yeah, yeah. And it was also Lombard, his mentor, kind of started seeing the attention that Diana was giving to Mark. And wanted Lombard wanted to be like Mark, the father Mark hadn't really had and so he started calling him every week and giving him a lot of attention okay so that's just some backstory on their relationships and then we jump to stage 14 so i think this race and i don't know if they all do but this one is 21 stages yep yeah that's right okay so we're two-thirds of the way through at stage 14 like we're kind of two stages away from that big like the tragedy with the bikes and everything that's going on and he's actually starting to think now about if the mechanics on his team could have done it because he's just so worried about there being a killer on the loose and if it's really one of the mechanics on his team he needs to do something about it mm-hmm. so he remembers that one of the guys on his team whose real name is marcel but everyone calls him the dandy okay no why he must so dress he must dress fancy or something <laughs> maybe so he had just been dating this woman named daniela who had broken up with him and she had been the sister of a famous Italian racer who had just retired. And they were all from the same part of Italy as Matosa's teammates. Mm. So he's kind of saying, okay, there could be a connection here if they were all talking to each other in some way. Yeah, maybe it seems like a loose connection, but definitely feels like a stretch. Yeah. So at breakfast, I think, Mark texts kind of that information that he has about Danielle, the girlfriend, to the commissioner. And then at breakfast, uh, the dandy actually get ends up getting taken away by the police for questioning. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. After breakfast, Mark Swenier... Swen... Oh, gosh. <laughs> Mark Swenier? Yeah? His, like, masseuse guy, like the guy who keeps him in shape. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, his name is Axel, and so a- after each stage, all of the racers get like a ninety-minute massage, basically, because otherwise they'll just be like one big cramp the yeah. next day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I guess they're each assigned one person. Would that make sense? Yeah, I guess so because I'm sure there's probably some like window where like they probably want to massage them like as soon as possible after the race. Yeah. 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 So this guy, Axel, is is Mark's, and he basically says, I have something really important to tell you, and he says that he thinks that all the mechanics are innocent, and the reason he's saying this is because he thinks that what actually happened was Mark's bike was swapped out before the race. And the reason he thinks that this is possible is because every year, like, let's say there's, like, six bikes that are built for Mark or built for Steve or whatever, throughout the course of the year... So part like something will happen to those bikes and so they'll be scrapped for parts or whatever or get sold, uh, sold at the end of the season but the kind of team 
will sometimes basically steal some of those bikes and sell them on the black market. Oh. So Axel is saying, like, he knows that the dandy was a part of selling one of Mark's bikes a couple months ago after one of the big competitions. Mm, Interesting. And so he's saying, after the mechanics are done working on the bikes, the bikes just kind of get left on the street beside the team bus. And it's up to um, people like Axel, who are not mechanics, to kind of guard the bikes. And so he's saying, I don't think anything happened to it on that day, but there's so many reporters and tourists and everyone just sneaking around trying to see everything that I can't have my eyes on the bikes all the time. Interesting. So the the bikes, the mechanics are like, they've got like a side hustle here where they're like selling off the, the bikes that don't really get used during the race. It's, it, it, they're selling off the ones that... Um, so, for instance, the bike that they had sold, uh, sold, Mark had fallen off of during the race. And so it it was already going to get, quote unquote, scrapped right. because Mark would just use a newer, like a bike yeah. that wasn't broken or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So he, Axel agrees that he has to tell the commissioner, but basically he just wants Mark to put in a good word for him so that he doesn't go to jail for selling this bike on the black market. Right. So Mark agrees. He likes Axel. And then before Mark can leave, Axel notices bruises on the back of Mark's neck. And what they, they he realizes they're from is when Mark had gotten off the team bus the night before, Jiro had grabbed the back of his neck and said that he'd make sure that Mark never won a race if it was the last thing he did. Whoa. And so the force with which Jiro had grabbed Mark's neck had left bruises. Yikes. Jiro's a scary guy. Yeah. So it makes Mark think, I wonder if the bruises on my neck are the same as the bruises that Fleming, that guy who had died in the bath, I wonder if the like you could match up the uh, fingerprints with those. Yeah, right, when he was like uh, held under the water. Yeah. So that's, this is all happening before stage 14. We haven't even gotten there yet. Holy smokes, this is all just at breakfast. Yeah. Wow, yeah. okay, all right. I know. So they say the beginning of the stage passes without incident. Um, Steve has, is they're basically saying he's clearly spent by the, maybe like near the middle end of the race. And um, so they're just trying to protect him. Like he's, this is only day two after his injury. And I think what they found is like, he didn't break or sprain anything. He's just super bruised, but he's bruised around his ribs. So he's having trouble breathing. Oof. But luckily Mark knows these mountains from years of practice. They've made it to, I think the, I think they've made it to the Pyrenees. Pyrenees, yep. So Mark's saying he knows these mountains like the back of his hand from years of practice. And so he's going to be able to keep Fonar in the lead basically by knowing where on the mountains to keep them, to keep out of the wind, and block the other teams from passing them. Mm. Yeah, the the pro riders, normally they all like to train in particular parts of the world. And so because the Tour de France is the most famous race and the one that everyone wants to win normally they end up training on very well-known rides uh, near, yeah. like that typical because the the route for the tour like changes every year but there's yeah. a couple stages that like they use a lot and so these yeah. guys will, will train on those particular stages okay yeah so that's that's what's basically going on so he knows where where the where the best place to be is for the wind and if he stays there, any of the competitors that want to pass him would have to go into the wind, and it's just so much more work. So Perfect. even though they're moving slower because Steve is tired and not able to keep up, they're able to keep their lead. Mm-hmm. They're saying that 
normally had spe uh, had Steve been up to par, they would have like picked up a lot of minutes on that stage because they would have actually been able to get ahead. They would have been able to make a break. Mm. So they're almost at the top of the mountain when Madel basically hits his wall. So I think they call it bonking in the cycling community. Yeah, or where cracking. You're spent. Yeah. So you you can't you've you you've used all of your reserves, all of your energy. Yeah. And so that day, Madel loses five minutes and I think drops. Maybe Steve is able to take third in the in the race. He was wow. in fourth before. Wow. Mm-hmm. So after the race, Mark is up in his room when the famous cycling journalist, Ray Lumiere, calls him and asks if he'll come down to the hotel lobby to meet with him. And he's basically saying, like, he's he's not there on technically official business. It's not to, like, do, um, do a article or anything. He wants to form, like, a detective squad with Mark and Fiona, the three of them, <laughs> because... He, this is like his life is writing about the tour or just writing about cycling in general. And he's kind of talking about how that doping scandal years ago had done, had been so terrible for the race or for the, for the organization of the tour. And he thinks he realizes that handling it publicly was not the way to do it. It was better to handle it privately. So he wants to figure out what's going on in the race before it can be made public so that they can like save face. Yeah. I gotta say, Ray Lumiere is like, uh, that, that seems like the perfect name for a detective or a, or a journalist. <laughs> you know, like, he's shining, you know, a bright light into the darkest corners <laughs> of, of cycling. Yeah, you're right. Now that you say it out loud, it does sound really perfect. <laughs> so he's, He's so well known in the cycling community that when they put his name on articles, they don't even use his last name. They just call him Ray because he's so famous. Nice. Mm -hmm. So Mark kind of hesitantly accepts this proposal. And then he tells Ray all that he knows about what's gone on so far with the, with the events in the race. And then Ray is able to share a couple of new bits of information as well. So first off, someone had paid prostitutes to sleep with two of Medell's domestiques and they had gone under the guise that they were at women that were actually interested in these two men. And this is, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but there's a lot of talk about how you shouldn't have sex when you're racing because it wastes energy. <laughs> that does sound like the sort of thing that a pro cycling team would care about. Yeah. Right. So literally the first page is, or maybe not the first page, but like somewhere near the first chapter is the DS Giro telling his whole team, we're not even going to think about sex. Like none of you are going to think about it. <laughs> what's, what's really funny is that Mark and Fiona sleep together so much during this book. And every single time they, like they say it as if it's the, they've never done this before and they would never do it normally, but it, like they did it two nights ago. So what's going on? <laughs> Jeez, a lot of a lot of craziness going on. Everyone's, I mean, I, I guess the tour just gets everyone real excited. <laughs> All this danger, you know. That's honestly, that's what they keep saying is like this might be their last night together. They're gonna die, or it's pretty, <laughs> pretty melodramatic. Dramatic, yeah. yeah, exactly. So the idea that someone had paid prostitutes—that's why that's actually like a um, a threat—is the fact that they would be wearing out the domestiques when they didn't need to be. Yeah. 
So that's one thing. And then the second thing Ray is able to share is that a very good Russian climber, Partak, had been paid to leave the race in the second week or oh. something like that. Okay. And then finally, several racers on the AG2R team oh. had been fed laxatives near the beginning of the race and had gotten diarrhea, which again was like this terrible because they're just going to lose so much, so many fluid fluids and basically saying it's almost as if you're breaking your leg. It's that bad. Jeez. Um, interestingly, AG2R really is uh, a pro cycling team. I knew it. I knew something would come up in here where I'd be like, yeah, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that they only picked one real team, though. I have no idea how they made any of these decisions. Yeah. But you're I right. Just... I don't know. So after kind of sharing that information, Ray says that he thinks it must be, it, this has got to have something to do with Giro or Matosa. Like, that's the only possible options. And basically, we have to stop them in any possible way. Yeah, they've. I feel like they're the only ones that have the, the most serious motive right now. Yeah, it feels like it. So now we're on to stage 15 of the race. And so at breakfast that day, Steve is telling Mark that his agent had hired a private investigator firm called Protex to basically launch an investigation alongside the police. So to work separately from them. Okay. And so Steve's able to share two things from that investigation so far with Mark. First, that military-grade explosives had been found on the gas tank. So it was, it's not an accident. That was, that was purposeful. Oh. And that his bike had been sold, Mark's bike had been sold two months ago to a Belgium, but then had been sold to like an intermediary and kind of they had lost sight of it. Mm. So then the other thing that the Protex team was able to share is that from Matosa's team, two guys on the team, Conti, has a criminal record and Ferreira, who I think is a mechanic or like maybe one of the team leads, he had been involved with drugs before. They're not saying anything. They're just saying like, look, they might have something to do with it. They don't have the best background. Right. So you said military grade explosives and yes. the the military guy here is the mentor, right? I forget what yes, his name Lombard. Lombard. Yeah. Lombard. So you mentioned it earlier and I kind of dismissed it, but like, obviously, Lombard is invested in the career of Mark, right? Like, if Mark's a good yeah. rider and Mark does well, then Lombard does well. So so maybe this is, like, you suggested the explosion might have been a misdirection. This is obviously, like, we're, we're, we're getting pretty out there. But maybe it was, like, mm. Lombard is orchestrating this so that Mark becomes, like, the team lead. And, like, this I is see. actually to try to support Mark and, like, take Steve out of the picture. Do you think that the the sabotage of Mark's bike was, like, that he knew it would get to Steve? Or do you think... Yeah, I guess that would require that... That's a good point. That, like, that seems a lot more serious. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess that would require, like, a sabotage of Steve's bike as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe it's, it's a little too much. Yeah. Maybe it's to come. <laughs> <laughs> Good theory. I think they don't focus necessarily that it had to have come from the military, but it, it is signaling that it's not an amateur. Yeah. Like it yeah. feels like you had to have resources to get it. That's fair. So I guess if it's a whole concerted effort by, you know, a team or organized Italian crime, you know. Then... <laughs> yeah, just the idea. Yeah, basically the idea, it's probably not one person. There's probably some people behind this. Yeah, it's not one disgruntled mechanic. No. So this, again, stage 15 was supposed to be like an easy 
stage, but 2.5 hours into it, everything changed. So the Italian team, this is Matosa's team, one of their team members, Alonso, stabilized his speed beside Steve in the peloton. And so Steve is not fully recovered yet. So they're not, they, the Fonar team was not riding near the front. They were kind of middle, middle of the pack. And Mark kind of realizes too late what's about to happen. And Alonso, this Italian team member, throws the axle of his back wheel into Steve's spokes, trying oh. to break his wheel and throw him off. Oh my God. He just tried to take him out. Yeah, that's no accident. This was purposeful. Wow. So Mark kind of says what he does, anyone's reaction in the peloton when someone goes down is to get out of there as quickly as possible so you don't fall as well. So Mark kind of almost speeds up. And luckily, Steve, because he was still injured and this Alonso guy hit him on his injured side, his body contorted um, almost unwillingly, but it made it so that he took Alonso out with him and then fell on top of Alonso. So Alonso broke his fall. And so he wasn't actually that injured. Oh, okay. And then the other thing that happened was Alonzo took out on a, one of Fonar's team members, who they called the Beast because he was such a like big guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Beast and Alonzo both kind of shielded Steve. And so the rest of the peloton behind them crashed into the Beast and Alonzo, not into Steve. So again, Steve was not further injured. Mm, okay. So as this happens, I think they say 30 members of the peloton fell and then 12 were actually injured including the beast and alonzo mm-hmm. and so as mark's riding ahead and this all happens i think mark yells steve fell steve says he's okay and Giro yells mark go get them stop them mm-hmm. and that's too as this all happened the rest of the italian team matosa's team had moved to the front of the peloton so <sighs> they wouldn't be in the fall and then as soon as steve fell they attacked those those bastards <laughs> That's bad, right? Like that's that's yeah. really badly in the tour. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's like scum of the earth. Like, I, so I, like taking out a rider, you'll get a penalty for. But obviously, like the uh-huh. whole team won't get penalized. They can only penalize yeah. like the one guy. But yeah, attacking when a main rival is is down is like the worst thing you can do. It's so ungentlemanly. Okay. <laughs> so yes, this this is no good. So. Mark chases down the peloton, but he kind of, I think Jiro wanted him to basically knock all of them off their bikes. Mark knows he can't do that. So he decides just to beat them and show, like, make sure they don't win. Mm-hmm. And so he's able to finish 58 seconds ahead of, I don't know who, I think just 58 seconds ahead of Matosa or whoever the next rider was. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jiro is not happy that's, that Mark just like took time because he had wanted, he basically said, I wanted you to slow them down, not speed them up. Yeah. But I think even even Steve says, like, Steve kind of backs Mark up and basically is like, he, how could he have done that? Like, this this was the best possible option. Yeah, and like, I, I would have never caught them up anyway, so. Yeah, he's, he's injured. Yeah. So that evening, Ray, Mark, and Fiona have another meeting after dinner, and they discuss kind of the assault of the day. And so what is really too bad is that the helicopters above had moved ahead of the peloton before the attack had happened. So they didn't actually capture the Italian striking. And because he was kind of in the middle of the peloton, none of the cameras on motorcycles had captured it either. So basically they can't do anything. Oh. Yeah. So they they have no way to get the Italian team penalized. Nope. The only they do say though that was interesting is that they see 
Matosa's team moving to the front of the peloton before the attack, but Panyak and Medel's team do not move. And so they're saying Matosa did not let those other two know what was going on. They lost some riders in the fall as well. Yeah, yeah. Because if they were all in on it, they would have done their best to to pull their, their leaders to the front as well. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that's interesting is that the tour, the organization, is trying to give Mark back the two-minute penalty that he lost for taking a, a rival's bike because they're basically saying he had given away his bike in like a sportsmanship fashion to Steve, and so he shouldn't be penalized for being sportsmanlike. Yeah, nice. That warms my heart a little bit. <laughs> it is interesting. So Ray, the the, the news reporter is or the journalist he hates the idea of rules being being broken even if they're for a good cause so he's kind of upset about it oh come on ray i know (laughs) so the next stage is stage 16 and you're not gonna like this jiro decides to teach mark a lesson and what can you guess a ds would do to a team member to basically make them pay on the race on the stage oh i mean I feel like I'm going to guess wrong, but like my first guess would just be like they they put him on like bottle duty and like make him be the one to get the food for everyone and like have him going back and forth to the car all the time or something like that. You got it. That's exactly what Jiro does. He's like you're you want to like you want to mess with me? You're you're delivery boy today. Oof. So he he promised Jiro, I think quote unquote promises Steve that he won't work Mark too hard cuz Steve goes like I need him for the mountain stages, like you can't wear him out. And so he says that he'll ask the rest of the domestiques to help. But in reality, he just makes Mark go back and forth along the peloton, bringing water and food and gels or whatever. Mm-hmm. So luckily, Mark's team is not as vengeful of Jiro. So when they kind of realize that that's what's happening, they stop asking for food and water. Like they just try and pick up what they can off the side from um, from the tour organizers. Mm-hmm. But Jiro still makes Mark bring water back and forth. And so by the end of the, the stage, he's still able to finish at the same time as because the whole peloton arrives together. But he's way more exhausted than everyone else. The other thing is that the tour has officially given Mark back his two minutes. So now he's actually a minute ahead of Steve in the standings because of that day before where he he um, he raced ahead. Mm. So where is uh, Mark in like the overall standings now? Okay, so the standings right now are Matosa in first. Penyak is 22 seconds behind him. Mark Moreau is in third, 5 minutes and 12 seconds behind the leader. And Steve Panada is in fourth, 6 minutes and 30 seconds behind the leader. And then Medell is in sixth, and fifth, sorry. 7 minutes and 5 seconds behind the leader. So it's like... Um, Matosa and Pena are like neck and neck and then like big yeah. gap and then everyone else. Yes, exactly. Okay. And yeah, but, they're all chasing Matosa. But but now uh, Mark has jumped ahead of Steve. Exactly. And so this is like, he's basically saying this has absolutely never happened before. The Like the, the giving time back thing? That Mark, Mark has never been ahead of Steve in the standings before. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess if Steve's the the team lead them why would anyone ever be ahead of them yeah exactly yep so so now it's now everyone's sort of got to be on board like why would we still be backing steve like obviously the team likes mark because they were trying to save him from bottle duty uh-huh yeah you would think that but but i guess they're still afraid of Giro or something yeah and also 
Here, let me get to it because it is, it is, it's, it's a feat. Okay. So Mark likes to spend his rest days as if he is on vacation. And so this is after stage 16 is a rest day before stage 17. Um, and so that's, that's kind of all to say. He's thinking about his mother and how, like, I think just his childhood. And it basically makes him realize that he can't betray Steve. Like, just thinking about his family and what Steve means to him as family and, like, kind of what he has left. He realizes that all that thought of, like, taking the yellow jersey and becoming the winner, he couldn't do it to his, his brother. I mean, that's good of Mark. It's sad for us, though, because, like, as the readers, you know, everyone likes an underdog story. Yeah, yeah. So so Mark's decided, like, he's not going to try for the win. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I think he had been considering Lombard's strategy before, but now he's like, no, this is, I'm a domestique, this is my role, this is what I do. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, you better find out who this killer was, then. Yeah, I know. At least satisfy us in one way. Yeah. So the next morning, we're on to stage 17. Mark wakes up to pounding at his door. And it ends up being Fiona and Ray. And they tell him that Conti and Leandro, two of the better members of Matosa's Italian team, were poisoned the night before. Someone had slipped a tube of and put gas into their room and filled it up with gas and poisoned them. Whoa. Holy smokes. But and these guys are team members. They're um they're supporters of Matosa, right? The guy who's in first. Matosa. Yeah. Conti is like his his lead domestique, so it's like two his his better team members of Jeez. Matosa. Jeez. Uh-huh. Chaos. Yeah, the three of them, Ray, Fiona, and Mark kind of discuss what this possibly could mean for finding the kit killer. And so they're thinking, okay, we Previously, weren't thinking it was Panyak or Madel because it seemed like Matosa was like the leader of all of them. But now we should be considering them. Uh, and I think there's also some. Basically, they're just saying we we should find out more. And as they're discussing this, Lombard bursts into the room, kind of expl- exclaiming, "You have to take care of his, yourself!" Like he's just burst in, almost in tears, looking at Mark. Like you need to take care of yourself. You have to. You have to be safe. Mm. And as part of this. Bimeo, who I mentioned it before, he's the lead of security for the tour organization. He's agreed to have two security guards stationed outside of Mark's door. And this is on top of Steve, the, the, the private investigator firm, Protex, that Steve hired. Steve has also put one of the bodyguards on Mark. Wow. Okay. So they're sure Mark's going to be next. Everyone's watching out for him. Yes. And I think it's because so many domest- like lead domestiques have been taken out. Yeah. Yeah. So at breakfast, Steve and Mark are kind of talking about what's going on, especially with this new Italian stuff and how crazy it is. And one thing is that Interpol has has found the link between Ferreira and Mark's black market bike. So they can now prove that Ferreira, the, one of Matosa's team members, or like mechanics, purchased the, the bike. So it was in his possession at one point. And then Steve also informs Mark that he's almost sure that Medell has nothing to do with it. Because they've tapped his phone lines and he calls home every day terrified that he's going to be next. He's the next victim. So they really don't think it's him. Okay, so, okay, so we're pretty much down to just the that one guy at Pinyak, right? Yep. So then I think Giro is kind of ecstatic that the Italians have basically been taken out. And so he wants to take advantage of their rivals while they're down and wants Mark, like he wants Mark and Steve to attack the entire way. Mm-hmm. And so Mark feels really guilty about this because 
he's kind of saying like it's just bad sportsmanship to take advantage while well, so like that Matosa is the leader right now. He's wearing the yellow jersey. And so to take advantage of him while his teammates are in hospital seems bad. But they basically agree and he goes and tells all the leaders of the other teams, we're gonna take back the five minutes that Matosas took from us when they messed with our bike. We're gonna take back those five minutes and then we'll be even. Mm. So that's kind of their their like his way of like still being respectful, but also doing what Jiro wants them to. Yeah. Yeah. So they they kind of like they set a breakneck pace, they get really ahead, and when I guess there's like on motorcycles, there's like not chalkboards, but like screens showing how far ahead you are of the other people. They they actually do use chalkboards sometimes, yeah. Okay, okay. So let's say the chalkboard. The chalkboard shows that Mark is now five. Mark and Steve are five minutes ahead. Mark slows down, and this is after Steve had made Mark go first, just the two of them, for like twenty kilometers without changing. So Mark's also pretty worn out. Yeah. So Mark starts to slow down, but Steve basically goes my turn and then takes over the front and mark i think probably could have kept up but at the same time steve is showcasing i got injured three days ago and look how much energy i still have and he powers to the finish line and takes the yellow jersey back in one stage nice cool power move from steve i guess still a bummer that mark isn't isn't in the driver's seat but yeah so back when they back at the hotel Mark impulsively texts Matosa, I'm glad Conti is out of danger. And this is after getting word that Conti has been stabilized in the hospital. Like he's not in critical condition anymore. Mm. Then Ray and Fiona come up to Mark's room and they're kind of discussing Panyak's past because again, he's kind of like not the main focus, but he's the only person that hasn't been hit with anything yet in the, in the tour. And so they found, or Ray found that he had been in and out of juvie in his childhood, like from 14 on, and that he actually been in juvie once for blowing up a gas tank at a cafeteria. Oh. So they're kind of saying like this, he might, he might know a thing or two about, about these kind of attacks. And he's also, he's a very hermit-like person. He's one of the few people on the tour that kind of refused to learn French or English. So he can't communicate with everyone on the tour. Mm. Would you say that's normal that like the two main languages are French and English or? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, most, most of them know English just because that's like the language that everyone speaks mm-hmm. and what most of the media, but then French as well, just because like that's where so much pro cycling happens in France mm-hmm. and like Belgium in that area. Yep. Even if it's not the Tour de France, there are other professional races that happen there. So yep. So most of them will That's just the main. Yeah, we'll we'll learn at least one of those two languages. Okay. So they're they're not saying it's bad. They're just saying it's abnormal that Penyuk, this Russian dude, like never learned any of these languages. So he can't really communicate with anyone. Mm-hmm. But then they also kind of start to discuss the possibility that it still could be Jiro. And they're they're saying because Jiro could legitimately have wanted to get rid of Mark because he right now is they're saying Mark is the only person that can beat Steve now Hmm. and could have beat Steve. So it it almost made sense to get rid of him, but at the same, so it's because they're discussing these possibilities, like possibly maybe it's still Matosa and he just wanted to get rid of Conti. Like he didn't want to hurt him that badly, but he, they wanted to like get some heat off of them from the police and make it look like it wasn't them. But then at the same time, Jiro could be doing the same thing. Or Steve, even. 
Yeah, yeah. A- any one of them could be trying to do some misdirection here. Yeah. So before Mark goes to bed, he gets a text from an unknown num- number that says, Let's stop this. I need to talk to you. Tomorrow night at the hotel? Question mark. And because it's an Italian, he guesses it's from Matosa. Mm, interesting. But what about Conti? Is he like out of the race? Yeah. Oh, okay. He's completely out. Okay. He was hit really badly by this gas attack to the point where they someone said that they saw the paramedics trying to resuscitate him as they left the hotel. Oh my god. Okay. All right. Yeah. I guess we don't know anyone else who's like a major figure who's Italian. So yeah. Yeah. And also the fact that um, Mark had texted him earlier in the day. Well, but it was from an unknown number. Like, wouldn't have Mark known? Yeah, but there's there's an idea going around that the phones are being tapped, and so it's possible that they just don't, like, he wouldn't want it to be traced or something. Okay. Also, we know Steve is tapping other team members' phones. Okay. Because of the Protex guys. Right, right. So the next day, before stage 18, Steve kind of offers Mark an olive branch. Like, there's kind of been some discord between them because Mark had been in first like not been in first but he had been in ahead of steve for a little bit and all of that kind of stuff going on and so he basically says he's kind of saying i think i almost have this tour like i'm wearing the yellow jersey right now it's stage 17 we've only got till stage 21 and there's no one really left to take it from us so I've basically won five the record is winning six tour de france is <laughs> tours <laughs> tours de france tours de france and so he's kind of saying, I want to win that sixth and set the record. And so he's kind of thinking for next year that he'll only train for the tour. He won't train for any of the other races. And so he's saying that he would let Mark win those other competitions. Uh, yeah, because there are other prestigious cycling races. There's like, a, yeah, there are, there's like the three. El Giro? Yeah. Yeah. So El Giro? Yeah. There's the Giro d'Italia and the Vuelta okay. d'Espana. And those are like okay. the two other that make up the grand tours. And they're yeah. like the equivalent to the Tour de France, but in Spain and in Italy. Okay. They're not quite as big, but yeah. So basically Steve is saying like, you can, you can win those or you can go for those. I won't even compete in them, but yeah. you'll be on my team. Yeah. Like you can, because they, the teams have like a larger roster and okay. they have more like guys on the team than they actually need at the race. So okay. sometimes like the other tours are like a, a trial run. Like if you do well on like the Giro team, yeah. then they might let you come to the Tour de France. Yeah. So so it sounds like Steve's just saying like, I won't even bother being on the team for the Vuelta or the Giro. I'll, yeah, I'll only show up for the Tour de France and you get to be the team lead the rest of the time. Basically, he's saying like, I need to conserve my energy. Like I'm going for my sixth. And the other news he breaks is that they won't even, he's saying I don't, we won't even be on Phonar next year. There's this uh, there's this rich tech guy in America that wants to start his own team, and he he wants to recruit us, and he's basically saying Phonar's budget is peanuts in comparison to what this guy is offering. Oh, interesting. So they don't really care. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to connect this to like some some more motive, but I'm not sure I can right now. It's it's kind of, then Steve says something along the lines of, no one else can take the yellow jersey from me this year, right? And so he's almost like making sure Mark is still on his side. Yeah. Oh, he's still okay. going to help him get this jersey. Yeah. So there's clearly discord going on between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So in the evening, I guess the stage happens. Did I write anything about it? Okay, I guess the, the stage goes off without a hitch. I I didn't write how it went, but I guess it went okay. Probably a flat stage or something. Yeah. <laughs> so that evening, the commissioner brings, or he has sent to Mark a burner phone and basically says, if you need to talk to me, talk to me on this. Like, I think the phones are being tapped. So there's a lot of this going around. Everyone kind of knows what's up. Mm-hmm. And they... So Mark immediately calls him and the commissioner tells him that Ferreira has confessed to buying the bikes on the black market, but he hasn't said anything else yet. Like he hasn't said that he, he messed with the tires or replaced the bikes or whatever, Mm -hmm. but they think they think they can get him to confess to that. And they think they can get him to confess to all the other things that have gone on in the tour. But he's okay. It would be like a forced confession as far as we know right now, though, because He's he's purchased a rival team's bike, but that's all. Yeah, exactly. And Mark is kind of saying that, like along the lines of that, of like, that kind of means nothing. Yeah. So he owns my bike. Or he owned my bike. So after that call, Mark goes to meet Matosa for the clandestine meeting that they had set up. Basically, what Matosa is saying is that the Italians and his team had been convinced that it's Fonar that is behind all of the attacks. They think it's Steve and Giro. And they thought that Mark had been in on it. And that's why they had sabotaged his bike, basically as revenge for everything that was going on. Mm. Specifically, Matosa saying that his team had caught someone messing with their team bus brake lines, which would have like sent them off the road. Oh. And the guy messing with the brake lines looked like one of the Protex guards of Steve's. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so they kind of said, we could only get our hands on your bike, Mark. We couldn't get our hands on Steve's. That's why we had sabotaged it. But then when they had seen that Mark had actually slowed down after the five minutes and hadn't like taken any more time, they thought that Mark wasn't in on it and it's just Steve and Giro. And so that's why Matosa is telling him. Mm. And then they also think that that's why like the gas tank had been a cover and that Giro doesn't like Mark anyways. And so that's why they let it happen to him. Oh, I find, I find this theory compelling. The Italians present a good case. <laughs> So basically, Matosa is taking responsibility for the sabotage of Mark's bike, but nothing. he's saying, we did not do anything else. That was all. Right, right. And I still don't like Giro, so I'm on board with this. <laughs> nice. So now we're on to stage 19. We're three stages away from the end. Very exciting. And at breakfast, Steve is kind of saying that he thinks that they should still be pushing for Mark to get second place because he's basically like, we're so close. Wouldn't it be great if Fonar could take first and second? Like, the sponsors would be so happy. So then Mark goes up to his room to get ready, and he finds Lombard, his mentor, is already in his room, with a map and a lot of pictures of a specific point on the race that are showing where in the last stage, like on stage 20, Mm. before... So I guess stage 21 is just in Paris, and it's supposed to be like an easy stretch. It's like a show-off thing. Yeah, yeah. So the last real stage of the race is stage 20. Yeah, the the last like one that you can actually make up any time is stage twenty, and then the last one they do like like around the Arc de Triomphe, and like it's like a nice little gentle ride into the city, and like the team that's about to win, they all like drink champagne together while they ride their bikes and like take photos, yeah. and then yeah, and then the sprinters do like a really cool like race because the same way that like you were saying that the Tourmalet was like a really prestigious stage to win as a climber. To yeah. it, the equivalent 
to that is winning like the the final stage in the Tour de France as a sprinter. The sprinter, yeah. Yeah. So basically, Lombard is lining lining out how for stage twenty, this is the point of the race where Mark needs to break away from Steve and beat him. And they're basically showing they've looked at the stats and they're saying, Mark, you're a better racer. Steve literally can't keep up with you if this is what you do. You will win. All right, Mark, what are you going to do? This is your last chance, buddy. So Mark humors him, but he knows deep down that he's already made his final decision and he's destined to lose to Steve. Ugh. I know. Aren't you so annoyed? Don't you just want to like shake him and go, Mark? Bah humbug. <laughs> so Mark tells the commissioner, I think he texts him that he thinks it's Giro. Um, and the commissioner Favre is kind of hesitant to believe this. He's kind of like, yeah, it could be. We'll see. We can look into it, but I don't know. So on that stage, it's if Mark wants to get second, he needs to hold his place in the race. Like Steve has minutes ahead of him, but he doesn't have as much time. Mm-hmm. So at the end of stage 18, Steve Panada is in first. Alessio Matosa is in second with plus 38 seconds. Oh. Malenko Penyuk is in third with plus a minute, and Mark Moreau is in fourth with plus a minute 30. Oh, okay. And then Pablo Medel is in fifth with plus eight minutes 40 seconds. So he's come out of it. Okay. So, but the fact that Matosa is like, and Penyak are both like no more than a minute off, that to me doesn't sound like the, the whole thing is. I guess they've lost their domestiques, though. I guess that's the big thing. Yeah. I was going to say, that's that's not a big gap, but I guess... No, it's not. As long as Steve's still got Mark working for him, and all these guys have lost a lot of their teammates, it's probably pretty yeah. pretty hard. Yeah. So what, what ends up happening on this stage, stage 19, is that Penyuk is able to pull ahead on one of the... I think there's a couple peaks, like there's a couple mountains. Mm-hmm. He's maybe able to pull ahead on the first one, and Steve wants to chase him on the descent, but Mark kind of goes don't hurt like don't hurt yourself we'll be able to catch him on the next ascent but on the next ascent they find that he's pulled ahead even further he's now 80 seconds ahead of both of them mm. and the, this is also crazy owen he's doing this on his own without domestiques yeah that's he's pulling ahead on one tour stage so by himself yeah so the thing is it's a mountain stage and so mountain stages are a little bit different because like okay. the amount of help that you get matters a lot less because you're going so much slower when you're climbing up a hill mm, and you can't yeah, stay as close together. Resistance. Yeah. Yeah. So so it it is it, it's definitely crazy but it's like it's the sort of thing that like you'll hear about every once in a while where like one of these like top riders will put in some like crazy effort on a super mountainous stage and they'll they'll yeah. do something like this. So that's what Mark is saying is that Racers will try and bullhead, but never do they really succeed. But when he sees on the chalkboard that Penyak is 80 seconds ahead, he basically tells Steve, like, this guy's now ahead of you. Like, he could take the jersey from you today. Mm-hmm. The yellow jersey. Before, Mark had just been worried that he was going to lose his sights on the second place. Now he's able to get Steve worried. Because before, I don't think Steve wanted to chase. I think he was okay with it. Mm-hmm. But he he pushes forward, and they end up um, passing Penyak, I think, really right before the finish line Mm. so after the race on the team bus mark calls bernard and so bernard's been introduced in the book before i just haven't talked about him he is lombard's real son oh i have talked about him he's the computer guy oh yeah it was at the beginning 
So he's the one running all the numbers. And Bernard had been texting Mark a lot and Mark just hadn't got to, gotten to replying to him. And Bernard is basically saying he's super, it has nothing to do with the race. He's super worried about his dad's health. He thinks that Lombard is kind of maybe not completely stable, um, maybe a little manic. And the reason he thinks this is he just found out that his dad had sold the family estate that had been in their family for generations, that he would always say he was going to pass down to his son. And so the fact that he sold it was like um, Bernard is worried that his dad's getting taken advantage of in his in his mental health, his like weak mental health. Oh, interesting. So maybe it sounds like Lombard might have been roped into some of this stuff. Like maybe there was yeah, there was some like sure. conspiracy between the teams and they convinced Lombard to like add to the chaos by like, hey, you would help Mark out if you did this or something. Mm. Their their theory is Lombard refused to get medical help anywhere except the military hospital and no one will tell Bernard what's going on. So he's thinking that he might have needed money for his medical treatments because he's dying. Oh, wow. Mark's basically saying like, yes, that's terrible. I'll meet you in Paris at the end of the race and we'll talk to Lombard and we'll see if we can get the estate back. Like, I'm, I'd be more than willing to pitch in money. Like, we'll, we'll figure this out. Yeah. So then the commissioner Favre comes to see Mark that evening and he has some very gruesome news. The Protex bodyguard that had been stationed outside of Mark's room for the last week or so is dead and hid his, um, this is kind of gross. His head had been found in a plastic bag in the back of one of the Protex vans. Oh, yeah! Yikes! Hmm. So to me, <laughs> sorry, the decapitation to me sounds like it's them trying to send a message, but the fact that yeah. like they put it in like the back of a van rather than like in front of his door or something when he woke up in the morning. I don't know. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm trying to read into it too much. I'm also realizing, I read this as decapitation as well, but I'm realizing now, could it have been that there was just a plastic bag over his head to um, suffocate him? Oh, sorry. They Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that... I, I also thought decapitation, but then as I said it out loud, I was like, huh, maybe this wasn't actually as gruesome. Oh, maybe he, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I now, that would make sense. <laughs> I, also, this book was translated from Spanish, so there, it could have been something lost in translation when I was reading it. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, let's go with that one. <laughs> yeah. And so this, it's crazy because this bodyguard is like massive. Like his arms are like tree trunks. Like, you know, he's like a super strong dude. And so the fact that someone was able to overpower him, the commissioner is kind of saying, I don't think it was one person. I think that must have been two or three. So at dinner, after like after the commissioner's left and Mark has gone down to dinner, Steve is super anxious and he's really confused. And I think Protex is really confused because they're now thinking they had had their sights set on Matosa and Panyak, but now they're thinking they don't think it's them at all. And the reason for that is that they had spoke with Lampar. And so he was one of those people that the commissioner had mentioned at the very beginning who had been hit with a car before the race had even started. Mm. And so what Lampar had said is that he had actually been biking on his way to a dinner to meet with one of the tour organizers to talk about he was campaigning for to wear, I think he was Australian, and he was campaigning to wear the Australian flag colors on his jersey, but he was doing it really like under the radar, like secretively. So the only people that knew he was campaigning were the tour organization and his wife. Huh. So they're kind of saying this point, who would have known that he would have been on that road on the way to the dinner yeah. to hit him with a car on purpose? Yeah. 
I mean, I guess it's just the organizers, right? So is but why was would... it? Is it someone paying off an organizer? Is it someone in the organization? I mean, the only person we know in the organization right now is Mark's girlfriend, but she's not even. Yeah. But she's not even like she's part of like the inspection and like mechanical yeah. side of things. I don't know. So, Mark then shares that info with Fiona and Ray, which then ends up reminding Ray about something else. Um, he remembers that when Fleming had died, the the in the bathtub, the guy who had kind of been forced to drown. Mm-hmm. He, their team wasn't actually supposed to be staying in that hotel that night, according to like the the tour handbook that the the journalist gets. The hotel they were in wasn't even on the list of hotels that teams would be in, and the reason for that was that the organization, the tour, had ended up moving their team to a new hotel because the the previous hotel apparently there had been a power outage and so they couldn't stay there, and so Ray's kind of saying he's friends with the hotel owner and so he'll find out if there was actually a power outage or if that was just, again, someone in the tour organization mm-hmm. kind of pulling some strings. Yeah. All right, Ray, shed some light on this for us, buddy. <laughs> okay, so we're at we're at stage 20 now. Do you want to take any, like, tell me how you're feeling about everything? Oh, man, I'm really confused. I, I don't know what's, <laughs> what's valuable information and what's not. It's... I'm with you. I was reading this book. I was, like, the first time I was totally lost. Totally lost the whole time. Like, maybe... I I feel like it can't be one of the racers. I feel like... I don't know. Uh, It's just... That's just... I need to rule somebody out, and... Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Jiro seems like the one who's got the best reasons for all of this. But I can Uh totally see them just, like, coming out of left field and and hitting us with, like, some other character. I I don't know. I, I really hope that it's someone that has actually been like a suspect for a while rather than just like mm-hmm. some peripheral character. Some random person. Yeah. Like someone who whose name has been mentioned a lot and they've always been around, but yeah, I don't know. I, at least it's not like an Agatha Christie where, you know, someone is actually someone else <laughs> and there are two people with the same identity. At least I'm not trying to work my way through that. No, this is very much more like story, like, like it's there's actually a story going on and the murder's kind of in the background almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I'm real stumped. I'm gonna say I'm gonna pin it on Jiro. Um, okay. But I, I don't know if I can explain all of the the chaos no that's been taking place. <laughs> no, it's crazy. So the the night before stage twenty, Mark kind of Fiona sleeps over in his room and he kind of tells her this is like his confession. I'm not taking the yellow jersey. Like this is. I know you don't understand Steve and I's relationship, but this is just the way it needs to be. I just want to tell you this whole next chapter is hectic. Okay. So All right. Buckle up. Yeah. Okay. So when he wakes up the next morning, Fiona has left. She's already gone, but he finds a note that she left that she had written for him. And it summarizes to say that she can't watch him voluntarily lose to Steve and that this is not the man she fell in love with. So she needs to take some time to herself. Wow. So then she says, I assume you never received these emails from your mother. If you did and you knew about this, then you're 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 basically a terrible person. And then she leaves a link. She's copy and pasted the emails onto his computer. And this is where it's really sad. Basically what it comes down to is Mark's mom 
she had been dying. She had found out she had cancer and she only had Steve's email. And so in her like last month of life, she had realized how terrible of a mother she had been and wanted to reach out to Mark and re- reconcile with him. And Whoa. so she had sent a, a series of emails to Steve expressing all of this and asking him to pass it on to Mark. And Steve had never passed on the emails, but had used them to send to Fiona and had told Fiona, can you believe Mark would never respond to his mother? He doesn't care. Oh my God. Oh, I mean, I realize you can't see my facial expression right now, but like... I can guess. Man. Steve! Yeah. Holy. All right. I mean... All right, what else you got? There's got to be more, right? (laughs) Well, you can imagine Mark's reaction to this is basically, screw you, Steve, I'm coming for you. Yeah, yeah. Everything's different now. Let's go. Like... Yeah, I this has all been set up for me and I like you you treat my mother like that like okay brothers no more. Mm-hmm. An epic an epic duel on the penultimate stage of the tour. Oh yeah. So I'll tell you I'll tell you in a minute what the stage is going to look like. But before he kind of starts looking at what the stage is and kind of looking at that map that Lombard had given him, he gets a text from Ray that says I, he had heard back from the hotel and he'd tell him everything after the race. But for now, do not, anything you do, do not talk to the commissioner. Do not talk to Favre. Oh, okay. So that's from Ray. And then Mark starts to analyze the race. So the race, the kind of final stage is going to be a 20 kilometer climb. Then it's the Col de Galibier. Is yep. that a real thing? Yeah, it is. Yep. Is it a climb? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's climb number two. And then there's a 45-kilometer steep descent. And then there's the third climb, the Alpe d'Huez. Oh, man. That's a famous one. It's 15 kilometers. Okay. Okay, cool. Good. So according to Lombard's plan, the whole whole, um, stage is only 100. I say only. It's only 110 kilometers. Yeah. But because it's so many hills, it takes them like six hours. Yeah. And Lombard's plan shows that Mark is to strike at the 106th kilometer. Wow. So it's like a, yeah, it's a mountaintop finish on the Alp. And yep. Geez. Ends at the top. That's, mm-hmm. oh man. So, it, oh my gosh, it's exciting. Yeah. So I guess I'll provide some, some cycling context. Please tell us. <laughs> so, so the Col de Galibier and the Alp d'Huez are those um, climbs that I was talking about that like the tour organizers try to put them in like any, mm. every time if they can. Okay. Yeah. They're really steep and they're really famous, and they have okay. like crazy, crazy gradients where they'll go up to like like twenty percent, which it's kind of hard to imagine. But like if you if you know the hills in San Francisco, like the super steep hills, yeah, like yeah it's yeah. like it's like biking up that, but like for kilometers, Jesus. yeah. Okay, and the fans are all there, and it's always really it's really nuts. Okay, so I'm gonna tell the next part of the story, just like. I'm just going to go straight because it, it just gets really intense and it's going to be super exciting. Yeah, all right. I'm going to try to make it exciting. Yeah. Okay. So they start the climb and Jiro has basically told them he wants them to basically go slow until the end of the climb because they have the yellow jersey right now. So the whole point is just to like conserve their energy, keep the jersey. This doesn't really work for Mark who wants, he needs to break away from the Peloton because the Peloton will kind of protect Steve. He needs to get Steve on his own without domestiques so that he can break away and basically leave him on a climb because it ends on a climb. 
So he tries, Mark tries to like bring the Fonar team to the front and set a faster pace. But Jiro just basically yells at him and makes him come back. And he can't not listen to him because then his team will know that he's trying to sabotage them. So he falls back. They get to the top of the first climb, no problem. And then they start the climb for the Col de Galibier. And near the top of it, about 80 meters or so before the peak, Steve shouts, now. And Mark takes a second to clue into what's going on. But four of his teammates box him in on the, the side of the road so that Mark and a few of the domestiques, the better climbers, can go ahead and get a breakaway before Mark is able to kind of get out of what's going on. Ah. I know. So by the time he's able to break away, he's lost sight of the the group. It's it's more than just Steve and company. I think Panyak was able to break away in a couple other racers. He's lost sight of them. But he has a couple of people on his side, specifically the Polish guy, Radek, who had given Mark his bike earlier, and Matosa, who wants to see Steve lose at any cost. Nice. So Radek vows to help Mark, and he says, listen, follow me on the descent. I'll protect the you and the wind, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go like, like, I, like I have no tomorrow. So they make it to the bottom of this steep 45-kilometer descent, but... When they get to the bottom of the Alpe d'Huez, Steve and his domestiques and Panyak are about 50 seconds ahead of them. Okay. So this is a big problem because Lombard's whole plan for Mark breaking away was based on the fact that he was with Steve. So it's all calculated around the current, like that, the earlier time difference that Mark and Steve had. But now Mark is an extra 50 seconds behind. So he's basically like they've got to climb. He's got to climb like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. I keep saying that, but it, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. So Radek, Matosa, and Mark are all together right now, and they kind of take turns going ahead to all to conserve energy and going up this last climb. But at a certain point, Radek basically says, "Listen, I have no chance, but I'll give you the I'll give you a two kilometers as if I was running the end of the race. So I'll give you all my energy." And he basically takes off Mark and Matosa's boat follow as like as closely as they can and then at some point Radek pulls off to the side and basically says he's done and gets off his bike they keep going Matosa says I have no chance at third I might be able to get fourth but I can't catch Panyak so I'll give you what I've got left as well and so he gives him maybe like a couple hundred meters and then it's just Mark going on it is on his own trying to catch up to Steve They've already passed one of Steve's domestiques, so he spent one of them. He has one left, like the better of the two. Okay, okay. So at the mark where Lombard had specified that mark, at the mark, (laughs) (laughs) at that like, you know, point on the map where Lombard had specified Mark needed to break free, Lombard is there yelling, Steve is 25 seconds ahead. So they've made up 25 seconds. Yeah, they've made up half the time that they were at from the bottom. Mm -hmm. He also hands Mark a radio, like earbuds, because clearly the phone our team had cut Mark off mm. at the top of the uh, the Col de Calibier. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> so it's it's him. He's all on his own now. Basically, and then so around another corner, Mark passes Guido, the last of Steve's domestiques. So now Steve's okay. on his own, and Mark's on his own. All right. Yeah. So Mark is like, okay, this is my time. And he sees Steve up ahead and he just goes for it. And as he passes Steve, he yells Beatriz, which is the name of his mother, 
Beatriz says, F you, you prick. Hell yeah. Yeah. So then when he finally gets the, the earbuds in his ears, he, uh, Bernard is basically yelling at him, you need, you need to, you need to make up 80 more seconds. You're 19 seconds ahead. You have to make up 80 more seconds. And he tells Mark that he needs to speed up to 24 kilometers an hour on this hill. He's currently at 21, but Steve is only going 19. So like Steve's worse off than you. You're doing better than him. So he's kind of getting to the end. Like the crowds are closing in. He feels like he's being tunneled. Like it's, it's really super intense. And Bernard is kind of saying, Steve's speeding up. You need to go even faster. You need to get up to at least 28 kilometers an hour. Ugh. But Mark is only, Mark, he can only, like he no matter how hard he tries, he can only get up to 26. And so he he thinks of his mother and he thinks of Fiona and everything he's gone through. And he just gives it his all. And as he passes the finish line, he looks down and sees his speed meter is showing 34 kilometers an hour. Oh, oh my God. Mark. I know. I don't know what that means on a hill, but it sounds crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. End of the stage. Yeah. So he passes the finish line, but Bernard kind of sounds defeated on the earphones, and he he's kind of saying it was a good effort, but Steve will finish with three to five seconds ahead of you. Oh. The way he's going. So as Steve kind of comes into like that final couple hundred meter stretch the crowd is clearly upset they wanted mark to win because it's france and there was like you know the underdog story and everything and then all of a sudden they start kind of cheering again and axel who's the only person who's supporting mark right now is the only phone our team member supporting him kind of turns around and almost not screams but goes oh my gosh and mark turns to look and he sees matosa somehow has some last reserve of energy is gaining on steve and with a couple with like a couple dozen meters to go, he's about to pass Steve. And Mark's going, why why is no one like why is why is um Gerard not not Gerard? Why is Gerard not telling Steve? And he remembers that Steve on like important races will take out his earbuds because he doesn't want them to be in the photographs. So oh. he doesn't know that Matosa is gaining on him. Until he hears, he kind of can tell that the crowd's eyes aren't on him. Yeah. And he turns around to look and in that moment loses momentum. And they both cross at 125. Oh. And when the photo finish comes through, Matosa's wheel came in first. Oh. And why this is such a big deal is because they were fighting for the third place, mm-hmm. which there are bonus seconds yeah. awarded for yeah. first, second, and third. So without the four bonus seconds that Matosa just took from Steve, Mark wins with two seconds to spare. Oh, crazy. I know. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I love, I'm, I'm so, oh, I love that. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy with this because it's like, they're using all of like the real mechanics from the world. They're not relying on like, oh, and yeah. then, you know, he had a mechanical like 300 meters from the finish. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. awesome. So it's just amazing. Oh, that's so cool. I can picture it so so clearly because like that, that, <laughs> like that final stretch, like down to the finish line, yeah. like the last kilometer, they've got the barriers up and all like the fans are like yeah. lining and they're all banging on the sides, and yeah. the the guy who's like always out on his own out front is normally like checking under his arm all the time, and yeah. normally it's it's interesting because if he's getting caught by someone you'll see like that moment of panic where they'll like they'll look back and they'll see that they're getting caught and they'll like stand on their pedals and try to get going oh man 
Right. So, so I think Axel screams when they realize that Mark has won and Mark is just, you know, blown away. Like he, they zip him into the yellow Jersey. Like he's, he is in first place in the tour de France. Yeah. <sighs> so there's the whole signings, like the podium or like, I think he's supposed to like open a bottle of champagne, but he's shaking so much. He can't like, it's just intense and uh, so happy for him. Sadly, I don't think Fiona is there because she had left that morning. She had been so upset, but he does manage to find, and Lombard also isn't at the podium ceremony, but he finds Lombard afterwards and kind of is like ecstatic and hugging him. And it's like Lombard is in tears. Like he's so happy to have seen basically, basically Mark has won the race at this point, right? Like he's, he's going into stage 21 with the yellow Jersey Mm -hmm. and he's kind of almost about to get onto his team bus, but he's going like, is this even my team anymore? When Lombard goes, you're not traveling with those jerks. Like we've got a car for you. (laughs) And uh, Ray, Ray pulls up the journalist to take Mark to the airport and Mark's going, I like everyone's going to Paris. I won't be able to get a flight. Like I have to travel with Fonar and Lombard says to him, you're, you're the King of France right now. Like every airline wants you to fly on their plane. They don't won't even take your money. And like the, this hotel in Paris is preparing the presidential suite for you. Like you're, don't worry. You're golden. Okay, so this is all great for the race, but what do you think is happening with our murder mystery right now? Yeah, so <laughs> so all of this points more towards uh, the conspiracy between Steve and Giroux right now. Mm-hmm. I I I think that's most likely because we can we've seen that like uh, the Italian team and like their team lead is like totally on Mark's side here, and it seems like the other two rivals just didn't really have what it takes. I don't know if maybe they would have been responsible for like one or two of like the attempted sabotages the same way, like the Italians admitted to trying to sabotage Mark Spike. Mm-hmm. So there was a multi, just like a multitude of different people. Yeah. Different interests. Yeah. I feel like it, it can't all have been just Giro and Steve, but I think they are primarily responsible for this. Their suspects, numero uno. And dos. Yep. Okay. So when Mark gets into the car with Ray, Ray's kind of explaining to him kind of what's happened. And I think he's getting some messages from Fiona. And basically, Fiona had kind of said, like, she was saying her final goodbyes to Lombard almost. Like, he really was in his last stages of life. Ray is going to tell him what happened with the hotel. And so he says it was a tour organizer he had traced down the tour organizer that had been involved for like uh, moving the different hotel rooms and like setting up the restaurant and a cup, like I think a couple of other things. And so he had spoken with her and she had said that she was just following orders. And when asked where those orders came from, she had pointed to the guards that had been placed on Mark's door by Bimeo, Bimeo the head of security. Mm. It was one of the two guards. So Ray, as he's saying that, says it's one of the two guys that are following in the car behind us. So Mark is kind of going, what does that mean? And so I'm not sure if there's any more information that Ray kind of gives to him about what's going on. But they're kind of saying, I think Mark is saying, like, I don't deserve this win if it has anything to do with the, like, the tour organizers need to know. 
and Ray goes, listen, this, you and Steve are the best in the, in the circuit. You beat Steve fair and square. You deserve this win. If you say anything about like this, this being a conspiracy, Steve and his lawyers will jump on this to take the yellow jersey away from you. Do you really want Steve to have the yellow jersey? So Mark's like, okay, no. So he gets onto the plane and everyone, like he has the, his cab ride to the hotel is free. Everyone wants to talk to him. He gets to the airport and he hasn't even taken off the yellow jersey and he has no luggage. Like he's just totally in a whirlwind. And he gets to Paris the next day and Fiona is, or not the next day, but that night. And then the next morning, Fiona is just so proud of him. She's so ecstatic. She's so happy for him. And he kind of asks her, what's going on? Like, what's what's going on with Lombard? What's going on with Bimeo? What's going on with all of this? And she says, leave Bimeo to Ray and I. We'll figure it out. You need to focus on the race because you best believe Steve isn't going to want to lose by two seconds. Yeah. So kind of what you were saying is normally the last stage is like almost ceremonial in that the, the winning team is just can kind of take it. Mm-hmm. Mark doesn't have a team at this point. Yeah. And two seconds. And two seconds. Yeah. It's not a lot. So Mark agrees and he agrees to focus on that. And before he leaves for the race, he, I think he, he has gotten an email from Steve saying like how could you do this to me bro and so he responds to that email or that texts with a you know a copy of all of those emails from his mother and says this is why yeah come on steve don't act like you didn't see this coming yeah exactly it's like what else were you planning on doing so at the race of course bonar tries to make an attack and so they kind of they branch out from the main peloton going into like going through Paris or going into Paris and so Mark knows that he has to make an attack and he go he's like I'm gonna have to do this alone of course he doesn't have to do it alone Matosa Radak a whole bunch of other racers are go out with him as basically his team protecting him on the if Fonar's on the left side uh, Mark and his gangly group of team members are on the right side yeah so they go out and they're putting up a really strong pace both of them Fonar and them but no one's giving up any space and this continues on for a while until Fonar's current strongest domestique after Mark, who had left, Guido, leaves Fonar's side of the race and goes over to Mark's to help oh. him. And as that happens, the rest of the Fonar team clearly slows their pace until Steve is absorbed back into the peloton. Oh. And then Mark happily takes his place at the front of the peloton and rides into Paris to clinch the yellow jersey. Wow. So they held off the attack and they gave up. Yep. Wow. Exactly. Steve Steve knew he couldn't do it on his own. Wow. So that's incredible. Mark, like, he's so excited. He says he doesn't make eye contact with Steve as he gets onto the podium, of course. He gives his flowers to Fiona at the at the medal ceremony. But he's kind of like Fiona was not as excited or happy as he thought she would be. And after the race, when he's doing kind of like a press conference, he realizes why when uh, one of the journalists, in good faith, thinking that Mark had already known, asks, how are you feeling about the accident that befell your mentor? Oh. And it's then that Mark learns that right before that last stage, 21, Ray had been driving the car with Lombard in the passenger seat, and they had driven off a cliff. Whoa. What? 
So it's very confusing. And this is where Fiona kind of starts to go into detail and say, we know who was behind those attacks. It wasn't Bimeo. It wasn't the head of security. It was Lombard. Oh, so, so Lombard did this to, to get Mark the win? Yeah. And so I think you said that at one point. You were right. That's exactly yeah. what he did. He knew he was dying, so he sold off his house for the money yeah. to basically, to, I think, to pay Bimeo to create these attacks and this, this scandal. Oh, yeah. You, I, I, now that I think about it, you did try to, try to help me when you talked about the Australian guy who was trying to go get his flag on his jersey. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, maybe someone paid them off. And I was like, nonsense. I'm just going to ignore this. you know just given all the possibilities (laughs) yeah man so they never explain it but i kind of took it that ray had purposely driven lombard off the cliff so that he wouldn't have to like you know do anything about it kind of what like say anything to what he had done Mm -hmm. sorry is ray dead as well yeah they both died what wait so Ray, ray killed himself to help Lombard out so Mark could win. So Ray, they think, I think what happened is, I kind of said this before, but Ray was so invested in cycling and cycling's image. He didn't want it to come out that Lombard had rigged, basically rigged the tour. Uh, and so Ray kind of died in this act of almost like yeah. heroism to save the tour. And so Mark and Fiona make it their goal to make sure that this that Lombard isn't, it isn't brought to Lombard because only they know. No one else knows that it was Lombard. Right. They had come to this and Ray, like Ray's dead too and yeah. wouldn't have wanted. And so they convince the kind of CEO of the tour, whose name is Jitrick, mm. I think. That might not be the way it's pronounced, but that kind of thing. They convince him that they, he needs to fire Bimeo. And they're basically saying Bimeo is behind these attacks. Don't fire him for those reasons if you want to save the tour face. But you can. There's so many other reasons you can fire him for. Like he was known to be, uh, like to do shady stuff all the time. Like pick your reason and fire him. Mm. And then they convince the commissioner to kind of accept that that's what happened. And even though he doesn't want to, I think he kind of is forced to play along with it. Wow! Holy moly! I, I wow! Are you speechless? <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty crazy end. I mean, I, I guess I'm glad Mark won. That's so sad, though, about his mentor. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I know. I was thinking, like, he lost basically his best friend and his mentor in one foul swoop. Yeah. And I feel like if you're Mark, like, that was, like, a crazy cycling win. Like, you totally deserve that. But, like, yeah. you can't help probably but feel, like, a little bit guilty about, like, knowing that your mentor, like... yeah pretty much killed himself to help you in the tour i think it was it was stressed that lombard was going to die anyways yeah so it's more that ray ray killed himself for this not to i guess not to help him win the tour basically to protect the tour image yeah man isn't it a crazy story that is a crazy story like it's just a good oh so good man (laughs) thank thank you so much for 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 bringing me on for this particular one like wasn't it? it was perfect and you were so great at giving us all the like real tour information and filling us in this is perfect <laughs> like i i feel like if it had been like some some other sort of story i don't know if i necessarily would have had the same like 
I don't know. I just loved it. Yeah. It was like perfectly within my wheelhouse. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. You were like, I'd only really heard about the Tour de France last summer when you talked about it. And so I feel like honestly, from the little bits of information that I'd gotten from you, reading this book was a lot easier because I like kind of knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know that, that this year's tour will be quite as exciting. No, probably not. But but yeah, you never know. Interesting stuff has been happening so far, you know, like <laughs> man. Uh so thank you to all our listeners at home. I hope you enjoyed this as much as Owen and I did. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can find my podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. I think there's 15 other episodes. If you'd like to get more information on this book or any other books I've done, you can follow me on Instagram at Tuesday Night Mystery Club. And if you'd like uh, to ask a question or if you have any comments or concerns about the podcast, you can email me at Tuesday Night Mystery Club at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me, Owen. Thank you so much for having me.